Mr. Lundegaard. Sorry to bother you again. Can I come in? Yeah, no, I'm kind of I'm uh, kind of busy here. I understand. I'll keep it real short then. I'm on my way out of town, but I was wondering, do you mind if I sit down? Carrying a bit of a load here. No, I... Yeah, it's this vehicle I asked you about yesterday. I was just wondering. Yeah, like I told you, we haven't had any vehicles go missing. Okay. Are you sure? Because, I mean, how do you know? Because, see, the crime I'm investigating, the perpetrators were driving a car with dealer plates, and they called someone who works here, so it'd be quite a coincidence if they weren't, you know, connected. Yeah, I see. So, how do you... Have you done any kind of inventory recently? The car's not from our lot, ma'am. But how do you know that for sure without doing a... Well, I would know. I'm the executive sales manager. Yeah, but I understand. We run a pretty tight ship here. I know, but, well, how did they establish that, sir? I mean, are the cars counted daily, or what kind of a routine here? Ma'am, I answered your question. I'm sorry, sir? Ma'am, I answered your question. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here, and there, uh, there's no... Uh... Sir... You have no call to get snippy with me. I'm just doing my job here. I'm... I'm not... Uh, I, I'm not arguing here. I'm cooperating. And there's no... We're doing all we can. Cinema 9 podcast. I'm Michael Govier. Uh, no Travis Roy today. He is, I think, Eric, is this the first show he's ever missed? I believe he missed Swingers. Wasn't that you, I, myself, and uh, Deary? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. So this will be his second absence. He's had a very, very, very oh, consistent yeah. record on the show overall, and he will be missed. Hope you're doing well with your brother, John. Uh, Eric, you're here, of course. Eric Branchum, a regular. And today's guest, which makes our threesome complete on the Cinema 9 Triforce, he is someone who is I met through fantasy baseball. But come on, there's more to Van than fantasy baseball. He is the co-host of the Boob Tube Boys, which is a fantastic show about individual episodes of television from Bible man to Seinfeld to bones to Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) They cover it all. And he has an additional pod that he started with his co-host, Brian from the boob tube boys. Spencer's the other coast on the boob tube boys. And that's called, (laughs) I always get this wrong for some reason, but it's called star Wars 
a podcast story, which is a, a great pod, name. It's called Podcast, a Star Wars story, and it's fantastic. Son of See, it's I got it wrong. Yes. He knows yeah. because it follows the cadence of Star Wars movies. Sure. It's Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, anyway, the spinoff. So that's what we named after, Podcast, a Star Wars story. Now, here's the problem with that. That's real hard to search for. So if you also search for Butu Inc., B-O-O-T-U-I-N-C, you'll be able to find it because the algorithms are a little weird. New episode coming out, hopefully by the end of this week, covering Attack of the Clones. You already have more uh, Star Wars story installments than Lucasfilm because it's defunct <laughs> from what I hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they kind of killed it after Solo. <laughs> sure did. Oh, no. Wait, is Lucasfilm <laughs> over? No, no just well, the anthology yeah, series no. seems to have been dormant. Yeah. Well, no shit. Yeah. Okay, fine. Van, I screwed <laughs> so it up. It was a Anyways, great movie, but anyway, we. I think all of us kind of like Solo yeah, here. Yeah, Isn't that true? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it was. No it was. Problem. It felt very Star Wars like, and mm-hmm. the problem wasn't that it was a bad movie. The problem was that it came out like six months after the Last Jedi. People were mad, and then other people were mad at Star Wars fans for being awful to uh, to Kelly Marie Tran. And anyway, it was just a bad time for it. And then. Kathleen Kennedy, the woman who runs Star Wars, basically just said, like, well, we're just not going to do that anymore. And it's just the stupidest, stupidest decision. But that's okay. (laughs) We'll still get new stuff, which I do hope they start moving into new stories and get away from the traditional Star Wars characters we know because uh, they're ruining a lot of things. But that's neither here nor there. You act like you've never ruined anything in your life, man. Come on. I ruin everything. (laughs) This show, Cinema 9, is going in the toilet after this episode. I can tell you that right now. Well, sometime, Kev. <laughs> I expect yeah, it's a good run, Kev. Had to close out sometime. I actually caught a few scenes from that movie the other day. I was just going through YouTube, downloading clips so I can make drops for the show. For and that was from The Devil's Advocate. For those of you that didn't recognize oh, yeah. that, and good God, when I was younger, <laughs> I just I loved that movie. But mm-hmm. I listened to. Keanu Reeves accent in that movie. It's not even from this earth. I don't know what it is. I'm a lawyer. That's my job. (laughs) I'll tell you why I loved it when I was a kid is because there was some nudity in it and I was a very young boy. So I thought the movie was the best movie I'd ever seen for that very reason. Well, those two women supremely attractive, by the way. I mean, those are two gorgeous women and I was 17 years old. I had boners every day. Connie Nielsen and Charlize Theron. I was 17 with boners. It happened. Broke my pause button. (laughs) <laughs> it did. I'm not going to lie about it. It's like we're supposed to act like a kid who's 16 no. with a boner doesn't use it every day because they do. <laughs> the other one's a movie I don't think you guys have covered here, but you mentioned it on an episode I listened to, Mike, and it was uh, Legends of the Fall. Oh, that was sure. another one that had a sex scene in it that I was paused and rewind a lot too. And But I find out much later that that movie is just a lot of fun because it's so weird with mm. uh, Anthony Hopkins being the creepy old man. With <laughs> <a shark>. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. What's going on here? Yeah. No, that's so fun. It's hours of entertainment. Wow. You're right. And, uh, I don't remember if that was a clean sweep on Helding Up or not, but we did do Legends of the Fall a little while back, which was our first Edward Zwick movie. We did our second Edward Zwick <laughs> movie last week. Uh, have you ever seen Love and Other Drugs? Yeah, man. It's been a long time, but it, mm. was, uh, it was an interesting movie. Uh, it's another one that I would like to watch as what I would call an adult now as best as yeah. I can get to being an adult sure, to sure. understand what's going on. Cause I remember it just being all over the place. That's how I feel <laughs> about it. That's all I know. Feels like that's what it was, Eric. Yes. It was. All <laughs> that was Although our it did, hour of discussion. You and I did say it held I up. Liked it. So I liked it. Travis was furious about it, but <laughs> that's the right of everyone on the show to speak freely. Tell Absolutely. us what you think. 
Do you like a movie? Do you not like it? But at least give us a reason why. And usually mm -hmm. everybody on the show is pretty good about that. So make sure you follow Van on Twitter at ManlyVanLee. Oh. I assume you're on other social media, uh, probably. Some of them. Not Facebook. I don't do that. But oh, no, 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 no. Sure. Who the hell uses Facebook? Facebook can just burn for all I care. I hate that thing. But yeah, Twitter <laughs> sucks. But I don't know. At least you can find nice people on Twitter. No mm. one's nice on Facebook. They're all just evil old people. <laughs> <laughs> you have to create your own private group on facebook maybe it's possible i will say uh i don't know if you do it anymore but back in the day arcane cinema eric was a good yeah, group a on of, facebook that was a months. positive place so very positive is that still around sure yeah oh i didn't know that see i don't use facebook that's why i wouldn't know that so. <laughs> uh at any rate yeah follow van and follow the boob tube boys and podcast a star wars story that's it, Michael. Yes! You got it. Okay, I finally did it. I finally broke through. This is a big moment for me. Thank you very much. And quick note, by the way, you guys started this show I a little while before we started the Boob Tube Boys, but we really kind of do what you do except for television shows and mm -hmm. a little more linear, like we go through the plot beat by beat just so that mm -hmm. way people who haven't seen it can pay attention to that sort of thing. Uh, with podcasts a star wars story it's a similar deal as the boob tube boys i want to go through the star wars movies beat by beat and we skip little action bits and so on and so forth and make jokes and the gimmick is the hook i'm a huge star wars fan i fully admit i'm a star wars nerd brian my co-host isn't as much of a star wars nerd he likes the movies and the mm -hmm. shows and so on and so forth he just doesn't know as much so i will be giving him little factoids as we go through little things like for example we started with the phantom menace mm -hmm. about qui-gon jinn's character liam neeson's character he's not he's less superficial than his character seems in the movie so i give little tidbits about his fighting style with lightsabers and how he feels about the force versus how the jedi order feels about the force and stuff like that so it's very intricate but i help explain things to brian who's the audience surrogate so that way everybody can follow along and it's a lot of fun and mostly we just make you know poop jokes about star wars it's a lot of fun um did you have an issue with Qui-Gon becoming a Force ghost? Well, he's the first to do it. So issue with it, not necessarily. The execution, as is always the case with the prequels, mm. is a bit questionable. Okay. But overall, he was he was uh, attuned to the cosmic force, as or the living force, excuse me, as opposed to the cosmic force, which everyone else pays attention to. And that's how he was able to retain his consciousness and his being as he went into it. Now, the one I have a real problem with is Anakin Skywalker becoming a force Absolutely. ghost. And in case you don't know what happened in the canon is after Luke redeems him and he's dying there in the second Death Star, right before he poofs away, the consciousness of <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi comes in and says, now listen oh, to me, boy. Anakin. Here's the thing. You've been a good boy recently, so if you want to stick around sure. and see your son party with the Ewoks, then you need to do this. And then he becomes yeah. a ghost. <laughs> Sloppy, and it's one of those retcon things that they just throw in. But yeah, that's what it is. Very problematic. Like sure. here's Obi Wan, who's you know at the very least was a morally amazing guy. Yeah, not a child killer. Yoda. Yeah, exactly. And Yoda's you know one of the best beings ever. Their Force Ghosts. Okay, great. They're watching Lando doing his little dance there mm -hmm. with the Ewoks. And then poof, there comes Anakin, either old Anakin or young Anakin, depending on which <laughs> version of the movie you watch. And it's like, wait a minute, didn't you kill all those kids? And yeah, kids. <laughs> that's a no that's in awful. my book. I say don't kill kids. That's I've been saying that for oh. years. 
People question it, but no, don't do so that. You've been on that platform it's for a while. That's good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finally. Okay, good. Someone I, said I it. Took, took a big leap when I was a kid. I said, you know what? I'm going to put this out there. Damn. Well, uh, podcast of Star Wars story is. I did listen to the first part of the first one, and you were talking a bit about <laughs> Qui Gon's. Also, he's um, he's a unique character on the Jedi. He's not like the other Jedi because he's more in touch with the. Well, you're saying the mystical side of it as, as opposed the to like living the living force. He cares the more living. about the here and now as opposed okay. to the Jedi who are like, well, this it's the world order. It's how it's going to be. We got to make sure everything goes okay. Whereas Qui-Gon's like, fuck, man, I go with the flow. Whatever happens, let's do it. Force tells me to kill this dude. I'll do it. No big deal. Force <laughs> tells me to take this weird orphan kid with me and leave his mom. Fine, I'll do it. So he's, <laughs> that's just kind of what he is. And Some it's, of the many reasons why. The great yeah, Jedi. Yeah, well one of the many reasons why he's not on the council especially after all his uh, accomplishments but yeah dude i love the the podcast even those early episodes you really brought me back to like 94 reading cinescape and just like casually reading that lucas is going to make a new trilogy like in in this magazine and it granted it took five more years but like remember like the dark days of like after nothing. the Thrawn trilogy, there's there's nothing but like micro machines and like like mm-hmm. bendies, like Star Wars bendies and shit. There, there was nothing. So mm-hmm. yeah, you really brought me back to that time and place, and it, it was a lot of fun just hearing how you got like when you first saw it in theaters and like what your mindset was and how it played out. Uh, it really took me back, especially to being in the theater when like they go to Otaganga and like the room yeah. just leaves the theater and people are like looking at each other. Strangers are looking at each other like, Oh shit, this is, I don't know if this is good. It was so <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah, Pepsi machine? Could we all meet up with that Pepsi machine in Illinois someday? I would love to do that. Um, There's one out there somewhere. They on the star Wars uh, Reddit board. Wow. People make treks. It's like going to Mecca for a Muslim. It's the, they'll make the trek to the, <laughs> to the Star Wars Episode One Pepsi machine, and I, and I approve. I when I was a kid and I drank caffeine, I drank a lot of Pepsi. So oh fine. yeah, good. That's what I'm saying. I think we should all like let's get everybody from the Boop Two Boys and our crew. Let's all meet up at this Pepsi machine just to take a photo and then drive immediately back home. Say nothing else. <laughs> say that's don't it. say anything. Yep. Nope. That's all it. We'll right, get an Instagram we- photo. We're gone. We can combine movie concepts and we can have a Lord of the Rings like trek up there. Somebody's Gandalf. We'll somebody, walk. Uh, Frodo. Someone's uh, <laughs> Baggins or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not as big a fan as those. I like those. I just don't know as much about them. Three hours of trees walking? Yeah, no thanks. Good God. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, All right. Well, I've got a fun little thing here I wanted to do because I know Eric. I've known Eric for 25 years. Easy. And uh, since his... Uh, questionable bo in gym class in ninth grade very questionable uh, and they called me onions it, they did it was strong that's, it was that's a good nickname to have onions I very like stressful that. no deodorant worked to my credit <laughs> and some people are like that and as an adult yep. you can go okay it's not his fault i understand that but yep. as a kid you're like oh, i've got to make fun of kid this as fuck yeah so certain dry great. costs like 12 dollars. i'm like mom i have to have this certain dry they said it's 100 effective i bought it didn't do shit <laughs> hmm Oh, yeah, this Dang. feels funny already. And then Van. Uh, Sparky. Uh, uh, anyway. <laughs> Sparky in my really bad tattoo was my okay. high school nickname. And it's oh, I hate that tattoo. The Angels one I'm a little bit more okay with because of baseball. I'm an Angels fan. Uh, however, I can't believe you have an Angels tattoo. Cringy. It's cringy. But, yeah, well, I also have Luigi on this arm. Oh, like, that's nice. There. Yeah, That's great. Like, I'm down with that. It's, look, the English D here in Detroit for the Tigers, the baseball team, it, mm-hmm. it's more that – it kind of stands for Detroit overall, too, and you could take it a different direction. What you're doing there with the Angels 
you could talk about Angels in the Outfield. And uh, absolutely. A young Angels Josh in America. Gordon Levitt. Uh, Angels in America. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Tony Kushner. Uh, I, I didn't know you had that. I'm going to stew on that for a while, Van. I'll get back to that. All I know no, is that. No, you can make fun of it. It's fine. I understand. I get it. I don't know if I want to, though. I'll tell you when I'm ready to make fun of something, okay? okay? Don't <laughs> tell right, me. Gaslight I, you <laughs> into making fun of me. That's how it's going to be. <laughs> You're damn right. You're damn right. Look, I met Van a couple years ago through baseball, and I'm glad to call him. I think I can call him a friend. I mean, we don't. Absolutely. We haven't done a show together in a long time. It's been a lot. It's been a while. So it's been a good well, year. We're remedying that right now. Well, we literally are doing a show right now. So let's dive into some Star Wars slash Seinfeld trivia. Now, oh boy, I, you know, trivia could be lame. I don't know. We've never really done like a trivia segment on the show ever, Eric. No, have we? no, 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 no. Hell no. Yeah, it's not something we do very often, but I have such a respect for Eric is a Star Wars nerd of the highest order. He always has been. Uh, maybe Dave Tomset was there as a rival from our yeah, friend group. Jamie Andrews, Dave Tomset. Oh, sure. sure. Jamie. Yeah, Jamie knows his stuff. And then listening to Van and learning so much more about his Star Wars knowledge, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow. This guy, I mean, you listened to the show, Eric. You said he's, he's got it. He, he did. You did all the research, I assume, man. Oh, yeah. Wow. I, well, a lot of research, but also it's just here. And exactly. a lot of my information from that comes from playing video games and just being immersed in the series. And it, it, you pick it up just tangentially as things come along. There's a game I play. It's a mobile game called Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Don't play it if you're out there. However, I've been playing it for years, and it's a good way to get to know the characters because it's a it's an RPG fighting game. And so each character oh. has their their kits based on how mm -hmm. they fight in the universe and they're designed like characters. And so you learn about some of these tertiary and quartiary names that are just stupid, but so much fun. And that's my favorite part about Star Wars is particularly the Lucas era stuff is he'll just put crap in and say, we'll explain <laughs> it later. And then when it gets explained <laughs> later, it's stupid, but it's hilarious. Like Dexter Jetster, who's an Attack of the Clones. He's this guy that owns a diner, and he's this big monster with four arms. He hugs Obi-Wan with two, pulls up his pants to cover up his ass crack with sure. the other two. And it's just a fun, fun side character. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, with the uh, the darts. Yeah, right? The darts yep. guy? Your robots can't figure out where these darts came from, but I know <laughs> I was prospecting on such and such moon. That's what he Damn. talks about, and it's Damn. fascinating. Could be, be the highlight of the whole movie. Yeah, that's how bad that movie could be. Uh, I'll Always tell you this right now. I'm going to want this very clear. Uh, yes, so we're doing a Star Wars trivia, but it's not just Star Wars. But Rise of Skywalker is a fucking terrible movie. And I'm going to talk to oh, yeah. you about this a little bit later when we do quarantine viewing picks. But the other part of this is not just Star Wars. I wanted to mix in what I found to be... I'm doing a stupid dance. That's right. We're mixing. We got some Star Wars. Dance of Seinfeld, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got yes. the thumbs out. <laughs> we got Seinfeld slash Star Wars here. So both these guys seem to know a fair bit about both. And we're going to run through a few questions and we'll just see what they know and see who's better. In the end, no one wins. There's no prizes. There's no. Oh, shit. Yeah, there's nothing. Well, yeah, sorry. I'm not participating. Then screw this. Let's talk yeah. Fargo. It's, it's just skip to <laughs> Fargo, which, by the way, is the main focus of today's show. Fargo. We're gonna do. Right. Does it hold up or not? When we get to Fargo in a little bit. So if you're here for Fargo, don't leave. Stick around. Or if you're listening to this afterwards, fast forward. But I, I would prefer <laughs> you don't fast forward if I have a vote. 
But then says the guy who fast forwards through movies. Come on. Now. Yeah. Oh! Thank you very much. Man. Thank you very much. <laughs> there it is. All right. You want to go ahead and just get that out now? Come on, please. Lab Basie, <laughs> lay it on me. Damn, it's the director's on, vision. It's paced properly. Easy, if you're Mike. watching, I don't know, some dumb action flick that had no budget, yeah, who cares? But if you're watching a drama, a movie that is intended to have beat-by-beat beat paces, you can't fast forward. You got to pay attention. <laughs> but this is a whole thing, too, because there's a guy I used to work with who fancied himself the movie critic. And hmm. he would say he, he'd watch, and I don't know the number, but it was some absurd number of movies a year, 1,500 movies a year. And I'm like, no, you don't. And he's like, yes, I do. What he means is he has 1,500 movies on in the background while he plays on his mm-hmm. phone. While he yeah. does it. You're not watching a movie. I can't. I personally can't even do that because if I'm going to watch a movie, I have to watch a movie. So I'd rather just not have something on if I'm going to be doing that. Other than maybe a <laughs> podcast that I can listen to. But like the BoobTube Boys or a podcast, a Star Wars story or Cinema 9 or the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo podcast i forget the last bit of that every time you know we did downsize it to palazzo podcast officially because you did officially okay. i sold out i sold out yeah i did I understand. it's just it's just palazzo podcast now we're not the same damn that's a fun word though i like to say that palazzo podcast two l's two z's right that's right so still alliteration yeah, still a little racist, still a good time. All right, anyways, here we go. Let's get into this Seinfeld Star Wars Bozo Fest. We're okay. going to, I don't know if this will be absurd or not. What I'm going to do is I'll go, We I, there's no buzzers. We don't have buzzers, and I don't want to see who raises their hand first. So I'm just going to rotate asking questions, okay? That's my final decision on this. Oh so Van, Van, we'll start with you. You're the guest. Van, and you have a chance to steal, Eric, if he doesn't get I was going to say, yeah. You definitely have a chance to steal. Ah, so audience, please remain quiet during the proceedings. Van, name two things about Putty. The show tells us, besides being a face painter and a car mechanic, besides those two. Well, he's a Christian. We know that because he Mm -hmm. listens to the Christian music in his car and doesn't care if Elaine goes to hell. He just knows that he's the one who won't. Uh, Let's see. Well, you said no mechanic. He's a sob mechanic. We do know that. Uh, other fact about Putty. That's interesting. I love Putty. He uh, will, it, will it work if I say he loves colorful coats or colorful jackets? Because he does. And uh, that's one of my he favorite does. Putty moments. I guess, you know, it's up to my judge's ruling. Uh, I will give it to you. I will give it okay. to you and you will pass. Uh, Eric, would you like to add to that, though? Yeah, I would have said, you know, he's not afraid to wear a, a, a effeminate fur coat. I mean, hmm. Eight ball yeah, jacket that's... and a fur coat. He's got like eclectic <laughs> coat tastes. And they're great. Anything else, guys? Is there anything else you think you're missing here? Uh, there's a lot we're missing. I would say he's bad at relationships. I love the the bit where he flies with Elaine to, I forget what, Tropical Island, and they break up a thousand times and make up a thousand times. Oh, just vegetable lasagna? <laughs> yeah, lasagna? Yeah, exactly. Or he just sits there and she's like, Do you want a book? No, I'll be good. <laughs> Likes Arby's. Yes. How can you do yes, that? Yes, there you I'm go. He likes Arby's. Thank Arby's. you. Likes Arby's. One other one I was looking for. This is very specific to one episode. Is that he was a former germaphobe? If you recall, mm. he helps mm. Elaine's coworker, who's terrified of her because she thinks Elaine is so disgusting, <laughs> and helps to get her out of this germaphobe mess. Because he used to be a germaphobe. So that was one thing I was looking for. But okay. everything else, you guys nailed. Good job. Well done. All right, Van, you passed so far so good. Let's go over to Eric for the next one. This will be a Star Wars question. Eric, uh, in the first Death Star, the very first Death Star, so I'm taking you back to the beginning, a movie you've seen 800,000 times. Okay. What is the detention block that Leia was held in? Oh, my God, that's a good one. God damn, that's a good one. 
Holy shit, Michael. Yeah. I don't, oh, this is a, I don't know. We're going deep and then we're finding out here. So this is a, this is a fair question, I think. So. Uh, D? <laughs> it is not D. That is okay. incorrect. Right. Van, right. do you think you know this one? I think D is involved in some capacity, but I was thinking off the top of my head, it was like nine C or something like that. But yeah, this Fuck. is this is a tough one. Fact representation oh. is hard. So it's a good one. You'll have to tell us the answer. My guess would be nine C. Okay, well, both of you guys. Are, okay, so this gives me a good you know, sense of where we are. The answer, according to my research, and I hope I'm correct, is AA twenty three. AA twenty three. Oh, I was okay. way off. Just whoosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one? Fuck. That's okay. AA twenty three. Okay. Uh, we're, we're all fine here. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I love exactly. That Han Solo That's yeah. so great. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you mean Poe Dameron or Han Solo? I don't know. What's, Han, that's a Han Solo when he's uh, in the stormtrooper gear, and they've just taken over that area, and the person calls in like, "What's wrong?" The imperial officer, and he goes, "Oh, uh, nothing's wrong. It's just a reactor leak. We're, we're fine. <laughs> how are you?" I just really appreciate that Han Solo moment, and Harrison Ford killed it. Anyway. <laughs> Or parody on Family Guy where he's doing the late night call-in show. <laughs> if you ever saw the uh, parodies of the Star Wars done by Family Guy. Hilarious. Blue something, uh, Blue Harvest. I think it was yeah, called. it starts with Blue Harvest and then they, they end up doing all three. But it mm. did start with Blue Harvest. And the, uh, the second one's called Something Something Dark Side, I think. Mm. Ooh, all right, back to Van then. Uh, let's go to a Star Wars question then because I just gave you a Seinfeld question. Uh, Count Dooku is also known by what Sith name? Darth oh, Tyrannus. That's an easy well, see, one. So, see, that was easy. See, I, I'm... Hey. I'm sorry, Eric. You felt like I should have handed that one over to you. All right. Just no, throw me a softball. Yeah, softballs to the guest here. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, Count Dooku is <laughs> one of my favorites because I love doing the Christopher Lee voice because he's he's got that deep, terrifying voice. And, oh, no, Obi-Wan, I'm sorry. This was a mistake. Come come look at Watt Tambor with me. It's, it's a, lot of, a lot of fun to do that voice. Watt Tambor. Okay. Watt Tambor, leader of the Techno Union, and he's just mm -hmm. a big monster with the little knobs on his chest. Yeah. <laughs> Again, those side characters are fascinating. Yeah, I know you're a huge fan of uh, Ben. What's his face from the pod racing? So. Ben Quadraneros. Oh yeah, he's the best. He's just a face. That's always he's just a face with little face. legs. He's like a bug. He's my favorite. Brian <laughs> has mom. his unhealthy relationship with Sebulba. He Ooh. loves. Sebulba. I know. Yeah, Brian. What's up with that man? Jeez, I don't. He's got to take it down. I, now Sebulba's overrated. <laughs> he is overrated. I agree, but no, he loves Sebulba. He tried to gaslight our viewers or listeners into thinking Sebulba won the Bunta E Pod Race Classic, and he did not, in fact, do so. He lost Anakin Skywalker. He lost to a little boy. How a annoying Dang. little boy. Oh, God. Oh, God. Jake Lloyd, poor bastard. Uh, yeah. Terrible <laughs> life. I'm sorry it went that way for him. I don't wish that on anyone. I really don't. So, uh, All right, back to you, Eric. We'll head back to okay. uh, Seinfeld. Okay. And I'm going to ask you this. Uh, what is the name of the musical that Kramer wins a Tony Award for? Oh, oh, Rochelle, Rochelle. Yeah. Wait. I'm sorry. That is in. Oh, no. Wait, 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 hold on. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, hold okay. You can have a second guess because I need hold to on. think about this for a minute. Hold on. It may be a play. It could be a play or a musical. I guess I don't know that for sure. But I, he did accidentally win a Tony Award for this play. So yeah, and he's, he climbs up on stage, and he's up there with the whole yeah, cast. Yeah, I remember. Everybody. This isn't the young woman's journey from Milan to Minsk? Rochelle Rochelle? That is that play, but that's the... They play softball, and she gets hurt during the softball. That's that episode. That is not oh when he wins God. a Tony accidentally. 
as a seat filler. He's a seat filler that episode. I will tell you that. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. Is it ringing a bell? I don't remember either. Mm -mm. Oh, boys! It was a, and you'll be surprised because it's a Scarsdale surprise. Ah, okay. Scarsdale surprise. And if he fires Raquel Welch, he can keep the Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Not exactly. Uh, goes Raquel Welch apparently playing up on her supposed reputation as a very intense woman. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, <laughs> uh, so I boy now I'm getting mixed up. I'm going back and forth. I'm doing Seinfeld and Star Wars. There's so many things happening at once here. I just asked Eric a Seinfeld question, and I just asked you a really easy Star Wars question. So I'm going to go back to Seinfeld one more time here for Van. Van, can you tell me the name of the knockoff? Wizards that Jerry gets for the entire board of Phase Three of Del Boca Vista when his father wants Wrong Kramer thing. to run as his puppet master. Yeah, it's the little uh, portable whatever it was. It was a big deal technologically at that time. The, yeah, wizards. the wizards is what it was called. Yeah. So I, I, if I remember correctly, it was like a pun off of that, but I don't recall off the top of my oh, head. I would say I don't know the. The acolytes. Yeah, I don't have a guess. I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That is uh, incorrect. Oh wow. Well, oh. that's. that's embarrassing. Okay. You should have said that. Uh, Eric, chance to steal? Po- pocket master. I, 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 I have no idea. <laughs> it's something goofy. Something it's, really it dumb. is a play off that same word. It starts with a W. They're called Willards. Wizards and that's Willards. It. Fuck that. And it doesn't work either. Okay. That's tough. Uh, <sighs> boy, Eric. That's embarrassing. Do you, Eric, do you remember how old Anakin Skywalker was during the period? Is this an official as, question? Yes, this is. <laughs> during the period known as the Battle of Geonosis. How old was Anakin Skywalker around that time? For the Battle of Geonosis. I'll give you within a year or two. I'm willing to give you within one year. 19. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Van, chance to steal. How old was Anakin Skywalker during the Battle of Geonosis? That's, I think, a little old. I think it's closer to 17. He was nope. nine. Just kidding. The- Eric, you got it right. I just wanted to fuck okay. with you. Hey, okay. way to go, man. You yeah, nailed it thinking- to a T. Because Revenge of the Sith, he's 21, 2021. So I knew it was a few years before. But That is outstanding. I'm impressed. I think that's impressive. Maybe Is that a hard one? I feel like maybe it isn't. Is it? Uh, I think it'd be easy to get in the range, but getting that specifically is a little tough. <laughs> He's a whiny, still just a whiny little boy. Even as it's in, from what I understand. That's <laughs> <laughs> course. It gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. That's you know, which is right, by the way. Sand sucks. Sorry. Sand does Awful. suck. Awful. I mean, he just said what we've all been thinking forever <laughs> since sand existed, which has been a long time. All right, a couple more. We'll wrap this up uh, here. Hmm. Underrated spot of dialogue from that scene. Of course, Anakin's, I, I don't like sand. That's great. Everyone points that out. Seconds before that or after it, I can't remember. Natalie Portman as Padme Amidala says, I like the water. And it's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. And no one glums on oh that. God. Yeah. Line, yeah. But yeah. He's like, I yeah. ain't saying he's, I like the water. Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm back to that was a steal attempt that failed. No, Eric got it right. Back to Van. No, you're back to me. Yeah. Yes, Van. We're go- and we- I gave you Seinfeld before, right? So I'm going back yeah. to Star Wars then. All right. Uh, hmm. 
Well, you know, there's so many fun ones here, and I can't get to them all, so I'm trying to decide, like, oh, man, this will be fun. Uh, uh, can you complete this quote? How about this? Okay. Jesus. Complete the following Darth Vader quote. This will be a day long blank. Okay. This will be a, this will be a day long blank. Long remembered. From, if you want to give me the movie, remember. that would be nice. Which one of the three? Hey, you don't even need it, dude. Don't even go down that road because you nailed it. Yes, this will be a day long remembered from Star Wars, A New Hope. Well done. Oh, so that's it. He doesn't have more after that. Okay. I was thinking that's... there was For the Empire or something like that. Okay. I do remember that <sighs> line, though. That's incredible. I, I mean, like, I, I know lines. I don't know that one, and that's good. Well done. I'm proud <laughs> of you. That's impressive. Well, he doesn't have that many lines in the movie, to be honest. Like Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace, he has, I think it was... 10 lines or something like that. It is Grand Moff Tarkin's movie. You're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Peter Cushing. He's awesome. Incredible. Uh, yeah. He came, back for 20, he came back for Rogue One. I couldn't believe they found him. They were able to pull that off. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. looked creepy. <laughs> uh, okay, the, uh, Eric, going back to Seinfeld here. Oh, Jesus. How does Jerry like to close out the move? Oh, uh, What? Oh, his his bedroom move? Yes. Yeah. How does he close it out? What is the finishing touch on the move? Oh, Jesus, man. Oh my god, Michael. It's discussed on the show. And uh Putty steals it. Fuck. Dude. Slight twist, I, possibly, but yes. Van, you don't know this, right? I know ish it, but I don't <sighs> I'm tossed between a couple of things. Torn, right? I don't know, like some sort of slap in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I'm... the swirl. Is that right? Hey! Oh, right. fuck. Okay. Swirl. It was a swirl or the twist or something oh my like God. that. Damn it. Yes, and unfortunately, George uses the knuckle, which he was not supposed to do. And it turns out Putty tries that move, and then George gets pissed because Putty used his move after he which doesn't work chastised by jerry for using it. all right there it is all, all right, right cool well that was that was fun nice job guys you guys wow okay. that was impressive you guys know stuff about things and that's what you get here on the cinnamon eye podcast cinnamon eye pod protemmail.com of course cinnamon eye pod on all your favorite standard social medias give us a five-star review on apple podcast spotify even audible you can do it if you like i don't use audible but i've seen it done so hmm. i know it exists all right let's get to quarantine viewing picks uh no travis to lead us off so eric you get to lead us off this week take us away yeah, kind of a light week. Um, Disney Plus has Summer of Soul. Mike, weren't you talking about this a few uh, months ago, maybe after the Oscar win for Questlove? It's a documentary about the Harlem Cultural uh, Music Festival. I want to see it. I hadn't seen it, though. Yeah, I want to uh, see it. Solid, man. It's solid. It's a little long. It kind of uh, runs out of gas after about an hour and a half, but solid, man. Incredible footage that's crystal clear. And, I mean, we're talking like 300,000 people packed into Mount Morris Park in um, – Harlem and largely forgotten uh, as a as an event. Incredible performances, mostly from Sly and the Family Stone. After I watched that performance, I like got I did like went down the rabbit hole on Sly Stone, who's like incredible genius who like hit rock bottom and is living in a van and Crenshaw now. And it's insane when you learn about how genius this guy was as a musician wow. and how hard he fell because of drugs. So yeah, that was like a oh. three day long rabbit hole uh, looking into that dude. But yeah, fucking awesome documentary you have to see on Disney Plus. That's pretty cool. I checked that one out. I hadn't heard of it, but yeah, it's yeah, it's really good. Man. I love documentaries too. <laughs> cool world. You look like you would. 
Oh, cool world. Yes. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. Have you seen it? Wait, cool world. Is that the of Brad Pitt it's, one? It's the Brad Pitt Ralph Bakshi <laughs> film from '92. It's it's abominable. I had to turn it off. It was it's nauseating. Oh. It's ridiculous. How is this a movie? Like who greenlit this? It's it's so <laughs> scatterbrained and, and ridiculous. It's so dumb. Uh yeah, awful. <laughs> awful. Um okay, dude. I've never seen uh Purple Rain. I've never seen it. I just remember that poster. He's oh. on the he's on the motorcycle. It's like and then like uh I always thought it was like a joke movie, like, oh yeah, like the you don't really need to see it. Like it's like a. Ju- I loved it. I loved it <laughs> so much. I watched it twice. I could not believe how much I loved it. Wow! Like, it's like actually like a really good like film. I all these years I thought it was like some stupid music video, string like like stretched out to like feature film length. It's 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 solid. It's in the um, it's in like the Library of Congress now as its its significance. I loved it so much. I can't highly praise it enough. Uh, wow. and this, I actually this is, never saw it either, by the way. Dude, check never, it out. I've, I've, I've never actually seen it. Van, have you ever seen mm-hmm. Purple Rain? You, no, you don't even have to be it. a huge I've... Prince fan to watch, to watch it and enjoy it. Like, the filmmaking is just awesome for a, for a concert movie. Uh, Robbie wants to know, what was that doc called, Eric? Finding Nemo behind the seaweed? Find it? No, 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 no. You're a bit off. Uh, Summer of Soul. Uh, yeah, you're a little okay, off there, sense. Robbie. Yeah. Summer of Fish. All right, Rob. This is where things get really weird because for the past two weeks before I go to bed, I've been watching uh, Leave it to Beaver in its entirety, and we just lost the great Tony Dow today. Uh, so it's it's like very bizarre that this happened because I've been watching the old series uh, for the past two weeks, and now, sadly, we've lost Wally Cleaver himself. Uh, it's a huge shame, but I love the, I love the wholesomeness of the series, and uh, it's highly praised. Have you and ever seen uh, Father Knows Best? That old TV no, show? I was just going to say this. That. I was just going to bring that, that up, Van, because you guys did uh, yeah, Father Knows Best never seen on Boob 2 Boys. We covered it on Boob 2 Boys, and it's it's a relic because it's the 50s, 60s. Sure, of course. And it's precisely what you think it is. It's like, oh, well, honey, I'm the man, and I got I worked my seven hours, and here I come oh, to an enormous house, which I can afford with my seven-hour salary, and you're a woman, so do the cleaning. And, and then there's this little girl named Kathy who's just built like a bulldozer. Like, she could okay. me through a wall. But it's, okay. uh, it's an interesting show. And um, I would never watch another episode again if I don't have to. <laughs> uh, a wholesome uh, American comedy where the husband co- constantly undermines his, uh, his homemaker wife. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll put that in the queue. Bingo. Uh, was there any black people on either of these shows you guys watched? No. Definitely not. Father knows best. No. No. Hey. There were barely Swimming. women on it. So, yeah. No. Uh, oh, yeah. Well. Weren't that culturally advanced at that point, <laughs> but yeah, I'm. I, it's one of the first sitcoms that took took the point of view of the kids. Before that, mm-hmm. it was all from the even like Ozzy and Harriet and, and Dick Van Dyke was all from adults' point of view. But yeah, I'm still a fan, and I really lament the passing of the great Tony Dow. I'm sorry. Are you okay? You want to take a minute? I wasn't okay earlier this morning. I teared up. He's had time. Time heals all wounds. Sure. I'll be all right. It's not my fault. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I, this is the thing. I always say I don't cry as much for people who got to be like seventy plus. Like, hey, you know, you got to be here for a while. So. <laughs> wow, a bit selfish cool. to presume that people will weep over your death if you pass a certain year. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, you know. Okay. Okay. Is that it, Eric? Is that your yeah, uh, yeah? Offerings? Cool world, so bad. All right. So look, I've I got both of you guys here and. I did 
want to go back because I blew through both oh. episodes of Kenobi for the Boob Tube Boys. I, I love those. <laughs> I I could I ate those up, Van. I just couldn't stop. I was loving the commentary. So many funny jokes and quips and uh, interesting <laughs> points too about the series. And I assume you finished that series. Oh yeah, it was fun. So, I, I enjoyed Kenobi. It didn't need to be made. That's that's mm. my ultimate decision with that. Is it's we're. Each time you show Kenobi meeting Darth Vader again, you're cheapening every instance you see Kenobi and Vader in the future movies. And it's how I feel about video games and books and stories who have instances where we get yet another Jedi who survived the Jedi Purge, who Darth Vader comes to hunt them and he can't do it. And that, to me, says you're cheapening Darth Vader. And there's a, a fun yeah. game called Jedi Fallen Order, which came out a couple mm. of years ago. The kid who plays... Uh, the gay kid and shameless is mm -hmm. the character. Yeah. Character in the game. yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, at the end of the game, spoiler alert, if no one has played it in two years, Darth Vader hunts you and you escape and basically no one dies except for this one person. But that to me is cheapening. And so again, when you make Darth Vader at the end of this Kenobi series, again, spoiler alert, he kills Kenobi, buries him under these rocks and then just walks away. He's like, well, <laughs> Job well done. I'm the greatest <laughs> Jedi killer ever. I did it. And then Kenobi breaks through and kicks his ass. It cheapens Darth Vader. It makes your villain crappier. And I hate, hate when they do that. So I can sit down and enjoy the Kenobi show because Ewan McGregor was fantastic at it. And there were some fun lore things and cool things that happened. But at the end of the day, after it's done, I go, hmm, I really didn't need to exist. And that's just how I felt about it. But you've it was got, Yeah, you've got two major characters who end up in the very same place they started in the beginning of the series and that's after six <laughs> plus hours of content there's no arc there's there, it's completely superfluous just for a recognizable ip to get more content for disney stockholders i'm i could go on for hours i'm pissed that's precisely wow. right 100 percent oh what do wow. you think okay, of the episodes so... michael did you, you said you kind of liked it right it was fun i was getting pretty into it i, I mentioned that last week so I wanted to get follow up on Kenobi from you because this week I watched, I hadn't seen the Boba Fett. I went back and watched Boba Fett after Boba seeing Fett. Kenobi. And what the <laughs> hell, man? Like, like, like Kenobi, I was, I was entertained and sometimes it was a little bit of a drag. And yes, some of the points you made on your shows, Van, about the Leia girl, the, you know, the character, oh, not the actress, but the, oh, ca oh, the character. Yeah. yeah. Get the fuck out of here. But then yeah. you watch Boba Fett and so Boba Fett, there's a lot of spoilers here, guys, in case we haven't already told you this. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> I assume it's a show where we talk about stuff that's happening currently. Uh, so Boba becomes a Tuscan Raider, uh, which is kind of cool. I actually, I, I thought that was interesting, but the Dances way the story is told. The best yeah, episode mean, was the second episode where he's spending most of it with the Raiders. There's more yeah. personality. There's more growth. There's more in that than a lot of the other episodes. The best episode was the episode of Mandalorian season three that they shoehorned in because the script <laughs> all sucked. What I'll say to that is I get the complaints. The, oh, I thought we were watching Boba Fett. What's this all about? I get it. I don't care. It's it's an anthology series and the way that they're Disney for all the bullshit they do and for how horrible they are as a company because they own everything now. They Ugh. are transforming the concept of universe television shows with their Marvel stuff, with the Star Wars stuff. It's no longer we sit down to watch. Uh, let me give you an example. 
there was an we just covered magnum pi on the sure. boys. hence i still have more mustache than beard because i had just a really mustache. good yeah uh there was an episode of magnum or there was an episode of uh oh shoot i just blanked on the name the angela lansbury show murder she solves murder murder she wrote yeah the crossover episode incredible the crossover episode yeah that used to be the only time you got those kind of things. Mm -hmm. That's no longer the case. Now, it's if it's a Star Wars show, it's a Star Wars universe. So I, I don't care that they had the two Mandalorian episodes or the fact that there was Luke and Grogu for a long time. That doesn't bother me one bit. My thing keeps going back to it didn't need to be made. We just didn't need to see this. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I think the hate that The Last Jedi got, partially because of the treatment of Luke as a character is because we never got to see cool Luke Skywalker. We saw him at the end of Return of the Jedi. He's this powerful Jedi. And then it was just books, comics, tertiary stuff. We never really got to see him be this badass, amazing Jedi. The last Jedi rolls around and we're like, we're finally going to see it. And he's a curmudgeonly old man. Now, he's he, that was some of Mark Hamill's best performances as a curmudgeonly old man. I like what they did with the character. But even Sucking all that, on that uh, green milk. Mm. Oh, yeah. I was still pissed off that they made Luke just a bitch, just a total pansy bitch who he would never abandon his friends like he did and stuff like that. And I think if we had what we saw in Book of Boba Fett's episodes five and six, I think it was, where Luke is, we're seeing him as the Grandmaster, people wouldn't have had that reaction that they did to The Last Jedi. So it's it's uh, murky waters. I don't, I, I just I don't think it needed to exist. It was kind of cool to watch in the moment, but after the fact, I'm just like, eh, well, okay, fine. It's never good when the star of your series thinks his own show sucks. <laughs> Listen to interviews <laughs> with Tamara Morrison; they're hilarious. <laughs> really? I will push back that I like I like Book of Boba Fett better than Kenobi because it was different. Because they did do something with the character. We did expect Boba Fett to come in and just say three lines and shoot people and blow them up that would have been awesome and that's honestly what i was expecting because robert rodriguez directed it it wasn't that it wasn't even anywhere close to that and i do think they kind of made him a little hackneyed and corny and just i don't know the end of it when he he kills cad bane i, I were supposed to think oh he is a badass see but i don't think they pulled that off the way they did it but um you know, I did really enjoy the show. <laughs> I, I like Book of Boba, Boba Fett a lot. If they're going to do these anthologies with side characters, do something wild like that. I don't think they executed it perfectly, but the concept of it's not going to be just, you know, the same thing you've always seen. I do like that. If you've always wanted to see Boba Fett take a host of meetings, uh, this is your <laughs> show. Hell yeah, 100%. And, um, and, and rank or he's a good boy. Oh, can I pet him? And there's Danny Trejo for some reason. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Anyway, Mike, it's your day. You know, hold your segment hostage here. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I got everything I wanted out of this because watching the book of Boba Fett for the first time, you guys said on a lot of the points, but I also didn't care. I was blown away when all of a sudden the Mandalorian episode just took over my viewing experience because I'm watching this thing. I was I binge that thing. And I'm like, oh. Now here we are out in space. And the Mandalorians <laughs> hang out in like a, a space skywalk. Like it could just fall sure. into eternity if they fall off sure. forever. Uh, uh, sure you gotta have a fight on a catwalk. Every fight yeah. is on a catwalk. <laughs> that was uh yeah. That was I enjoyed that and I got no beef with that. And then like, oh, we get more Luke and like he actually speaks and it doesn't it so, looked pretty good but was still 
I mean, yeah. if you just know. No, like, no, 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 no. But it wasn't as. Okay, so then after watching Boba Fett and I'd watched Kenobi and I was on Star Wars kick, I'm like, you know what? I really have been shitting on the sequel trilogy since I've seen it. Uh, I'm going to go back and watch it. It's been a couple, been a, maybe been a year and a half or two years oh since I saw Rise of Skywalker. So I went to the beginning, started with The Force Awakens, which I hated because it was just like, all right, we're just going to pretend the audience is dumb as fuck and just reboot. Not even reboot. It was, it was a remake. It was a remake, reboot bullshit. Remake. It was just beat for beat, Starkiller base, the Hitler stuff with the Nazis. <laughs> I was like, this shit sucked. It sucked again. But at least Leia was alive for that movie, okay? So Carrie Fisher yeah. was alive, and you're like, oh, okay, at least she's alive. And, you know, I actually enjoyed seeing Han and Chewie show up on the ship when they reclaimed the Falcon for the first time more than I did awesome. when I first saw it because I thought it was lame fan service. I enjoyed a little bit mm -hmm. more this time. But that, And then The Last Jedi, which I didn't hate like other people. I want people to know my stance originally. I thought The Last Jedi was interesting in itself before Rise of Skywalker came out. <laughs> and But when you... You watch Rise of Skywalker. It, Last Jedi is an interesting movie still. I watched it again. I was like, oh, okay. But it, it's less stakes, and the stakes decrease knowing that Rise of Skywalker exists when you're watching Last Jedi now. So you could just like dismiss it entirely because when you watch Rise of Skywalker, Carrie Fisher is long dead, but they have to include Leia in this movie for some reason, and it's so bad. It is such stiltedness and disconnectedness with these movie tricks that we all know how movies are made. Most people who watch Star Wars already know how movies are made. And we know that you're taking old shit footage that you never plan to use in any movies and that you have her go lay down to save Ben Solo's life, a, a silhouette of someone else's body, because we know Carrie Fisher's dead. It just... It just takes you out of the movie so much. And it sucks that Carrie Fisher died. It really did suck. But you are in charge of a franchise. And just because George Lucas didn't technically direct all of the original trilogy, which he still did, he's just not in name, that doesn't mean you have to switch up these directors. We'll go J.J. Abrams. We'll go Ryan Johnson. Oh, we'll bring J.J. back because we're going to follow fire Colin Trevorrow because it didn't go the way they wanted it to. And then this year... Rise of Skywalker is the worst Star Wars movie that exists today. It's a fact. Lock it in. It's a total piece of shit. And it sucks because it actually looks good. Like, the scene when they're in the Endor system and you got the remnants of the old Death Star, it looks mm -hmm. cool. But what's happening means dick. It don't mean dick because it's so convoluted, so contrived, and there's no... No character development. They're just forcing bullshit in a retcon fest. They should have called it Rise of Retcon. That should be the name of the fucking movie. Michael. Well, it, it's awful. It, it, it's complete trash. But driving home from that, I was just like shaking my head like, well, that was fucking awful. Whereas after Last Jedi, I'm banging on my steering wheel on the way home, almost reduced to tears at what I just seen. And the character assassination, it, that made such a more profound negative impact on me than Rise of Skywalker, which was just clearly cobbled together by committee at the last minute to get that third installment out there. So, Oh, I agree with that 100%. Um, I, I, in case you couldn't tell, don't care for Disney. I just don't like him. I'm an old liberal hippie, and I don't like that now there's one company <laughs> that owns fucking everything. Complete monopoly. And just, and it's absurd to me and now every the only thing that goes to movie theaters are superhero movies and i don't i don't like superhero movies i don't like marvel it's just not my thing and i understand the idea of someone sitting here and talking about i love star wars marvel sucks is absurd because they both suck but it's just <laughs> what i grew up with that's the con concept with it but the thing that drives me nuts about that and then i'll move on to rise of skywalker is 
people will watch Captain America fights a dog for three hours and be like, this was the best thing I've ever seen. I can't believe how good it was. And then they'll watch whatever Star Wars movie like this thing just sucks. They both suck. Marvel movies suck. They're not Home good game. movies. Missing just, Travis right now. If you just think they're entertaining, great. I, I agree. Go watch them if you like that sort of thing. But <laughs> they're not high high art like people present Marvel movies. <laughs> and it drives me fucking nuts. And they're not they're going away. No, no, that's it's that's like it. it's like in on. 1907 when they invented plastic. It's just it's it's here <laughs> to stay. It's easier yep. and it's not going anywhere. Exactly. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. It's pretty clear that the the idea was we're going to do Colin Trevorrow's script and his movie, and then somebody mm -hmm. didn't like it. By the way, it's an awesome script. You should go Jewel check it fates. out. It was yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Really cool stuff in there that I'd love to see. And then they brought J.J. Abrams back, who just did what jj abrams does it was a beautiful movie like you said michael it was it was very visually stunning i won't say i will say i enjoyed it from a concept of sitting down and not having any preconceived notions and just watching it and being like okay that was kind of fun but you're right it's a shitty movie it is a shit movie if you even step back and think about logistics but that's what star wars is now i posit that kenobi the whole series if you step back and go wait a minute i don't think that makes sense you've already taking yourself out you can't do that you just have to look at it you just have to open your eyes and look at what's in front of you and turn your brain off that's the only way to enjoy mm -hmm. the newer things and i think that's what disney is and i think that's what it's going to be going forward um palpatine coming back is oh jesus rags on jesus here's what i think uh, yes it sucked and it was stupid the way they did it it does however tie nine movies together so i think conceptually if they'd started at seven that Force Awakens and said, we're going to have Palpatine come back in the end. Here, let's do some little things. Could have been fine. I could have been okay with that. But the way it was just Poe saying, somehow Palpatine has returned. Wait a second. The laziest fucking Fan, thing. you're okay with Darth Vader's sacrifice in episode six meaning nothing because he transferred his essence? No, I'm not. But we also should have stopped at six movies. Since we have nine movies, I'm okay bringing Palpatine back. <laughs> you it, don't want to see him looking like fucking B. Arthur at a at a uh, like high society party. It's Ian uh, McDermott, and he looks like an old woman. I love Emperor Palpatine. He is so, and in the prequel trilogy, he's the yeah, best. He's fantastic, down, in my opinion. He does such a good job with the, even the subtleties that him twisting Anakin and being evil, and then in you see him in Return of the Jedi, and he's fucking eating mm -hmm. balls. He's chewing the scenery up. I love it. I liked seeing him again. That doesn't mean oh. I would ever write that to happen in any any scenario. So I just don't think they should have done those movies. I think they should have just well, done a new, uh, new story. They had to. They had $4 billion. Get this. Somebody write these immediately so we can pump this shit out. And like the, in my opinion, just to close, I mean, we're going long. It, people forget that these are supposed to be fun movies Platform. for kids that mm -hmm. makes sense and that that mirror these old flash gordon serials they got a beginning middle and an end and they're supposed to have clarity and be for kids now all of a sudden disney is making they have to make movie movies for these 40 year old bearded dudes like us right mm -hmm. so they have to make them overtly serious and overtly complex and they do a piss poor job at it and they have to make content like i said for stakeholders and it's just fucking product and content it's it's fast food entertainment i think they yep. should stick to lanes so they should make star wars rebels the cartoon show for kids because that was for kids and it's the thing i hate the most in star wars i have hated rebels i heard you say that yeah. they've done 
and then they should have Book of Boba Fett, directed by Robert Rodriguez, where Boba Fett's chopping heads off and killing people and being ultra violent. Have two separate properties in that regard. That's, I think, how you do it, mm. as opposed to mushing them, just like get in there, or just mashing them in and saying, okay, well, we got to have the kids <laughs> like this. So, but we got to make sure the adults know that they like it. So we'll have one graphic death followed by nine hours of people acting like stupid so kids can understand what's happening and it doesn't work it simply doesn't work wow well you said it, you all, have it Michael. Well said. yeah so I, I don't see why i would ever fire up rise of skywalker again but oddly enough the sick fuck part about it all is it's still a star wars movie so you could just be sitting there one day and just put it on and you're like it's star wars and I'm you're not even going to like it. And that's where you have to question why you're watching things. All these points are outstanding. Yeah, fuck Disney. Fuck these conglomerates. <laughs> I've always hated conglomerates. Mr. Show, a move, a show, a comedy oh, series God. from the 90s, did tons of great stuff about conglomerates and Globotech and like all that shit. And that was 25 years ago. So it's only gotten worse. And we, you know, the rise of independent film needs to come back more mm -hmm. than ever right now. I think we would probably all agree with that. In a way, maybe it's there. We're just not giving it enough attention because too many of us are getting stuck with our nostalgia boners on shit from the past Dude. and not being willing to grow with new content. That's why I said I liked Moon Knight when I told you. Like, Moon Knight, to me, I'm not a Marvel psycho, but I do watch it all. But Moon Knight was a unique property I had no knowledge of, and I really enjoyed it because Oscar Isaac was outstanding, and it was it wasn't... It wasn't typical Disney fair in a way to me. That was an exception. That's the sick irony of, about this whole Star Wars thing is because it was created by um, um, a true maverick, a true renegade that came out of a broken studio system and decided to fund his own material and make it the way he likes it. And he handed it over to the evil empire itself. Mm -hmm. So blame him. Sad story. He did it. He says he well, did isn't it, it weird that he because of the backlash of the prequels. He said fans are too mean. He's butthurt. He, he is butthurt. But he's also, here's the problem with the prequels. I'll stop talking about <laughs> oh, this. Oh, here we go. Strap in. He didn't want to direct any of them. He didn't want to write any of those movies. He just wanted to do his cool digital movie making stuff. No one would step up and do it. He asked so many writers, so right. many directors, and none of them would do it. And that's why the prequels sucked. And that's why, by the way, Lawrence Kasdan directed Empire Strikes Back and had most of the writing credit with that. And that's why Empire Strikes Back is fucking awesome. It's the best Amazing. Star Wars movie. It's a genuinely a great movie in the pantheon of movies. Yeah. It's because George Lucas he's just all... stepped back and did his cool stuff, and that's it. Yeah, but he's also on the current stuff, Larry Kasdan. He wrote... Well, Irvin Kirshner directed he's... Empire. Larry yeah, oh, wrote, yeah. wrote it, but like he was, they were both just shadowed by Lucas the entire time. Mm -hmm. And then no, well, I can't and remember Lucas Rise of Skywalker Renee. or Force Awakens. Maybe it was Force Awakens that Kazan wrote. I'm saying is Kazan's right. a part of this he, yeah. sequel trilogy. So is it his kid? Because I know his kid does a lot of stuff too. Jake, uh, it's Jake, still Larry. Jake, it's still Lawrence. Jake and Larry wrote Solo, but I think Larry okay, helped out with the Force right. Awakens. Anyway, Larry, yeah, Larry, Michigan grad, by the way. So absolutely. Oh, all right. Uh, so that yeah, obviously I watched all that shit. Uh, Van, anything you'd like to share non Star Wars related uh, when it comes to movie watching? I'll be brief here. I, in preparation for Magnum P.I. starring Tom Selleck, who's lunatic, I watched a couple of movies that are called Jesse Stone, colon, whatever. <laughs> and oh they're gosh. basically CBS made-for-TV movies from the early 2000s who then found a streaming home later. There's nine of them in the series, I think mm -hmm. it is, where he plays like a 75-year-old 
former Boston police cop who moves to the small city and solves crimes. And they are utterly fascinating because they're bad. I like bad movies. I'm a Mystery hmm. Science Theater 3000 fan. And I've always liked bad movies. So I watched a couple of those. I think the first two, out Stone Cold and yep. Paradise, something or other. Anyway, they're shitty movies, but they're so much fun <laughs> to watch because you get to see 25-year-old women, 30-year-old, gorgeous, beautiful women throwing themselves at 75-year-old Tom Selleck, who can't quite get around as well, and he still has the big mustache, and it's it's utterly fun. So I watched a couple of those. And then the other one I'm going to toss out to is called Night Beast, and everyone will have to Google that because no one has seen this movie it was made in the 80s by this director, and his name fails me. Who basically, he, he would have like 10,000 bucks to make a movie, and he would hire just his friends to do it. And the other one that he did was Galaxy Invader that I've seen. And they are mwah, a masterpiece in trash movie. <laughs> it's just 80s cheese with bad graphics, people who aren't <laughs> actors acting, and it's so much fun. So that's what I, I paid attention to recently. Wow. Okay, Night Beast. Night yeah. Beast and Jesse Stone. Yeah. You watching that Bee Gees documentary yet? Like I keep telling you to much. Uh god damn. I did watch the Gordon Lightfoot one. I saw I did uh, that. I listened to you. Incredible. I'll get around to it. Amazing. So. Love Gordon. big Gordon Lightfoot fans here oh, yeah. at Cinema Night Podcast. Absolutely. All right. This is Bob. I think this is a record. Maybe the Annihilators, but this has to be the record for the latest start to the main focus of our show. And you know, I don't regret any of it because we had a lot of great conversations so far. Hopefully you're enjoying it. But now uh, we're switching off Star Wars. I, I'm, I'm good at yeah. uh, making people not not do what they're supposed to do on podcasts. I've been doing it for like eight years, and I've been screwing <laughs> up podcasts for eight years. You're welcome. No, 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 no. It's fine. I'm good. I'm good with calculations. Uh, <laughs> you are <laughs> so okay. dumb. That's yeah, more comic book crap right there. More comic book fodder. Although that was a good movie. But anyways, it's time to get into Fargo. This movie was selected by Van Lee himself, our special guest. And on the Cinema Night Podcast, we'd like to present the movie to you. Go back in time to our first viewing as well. It's a Coen Brothers film, in case you didn't know that, directed by the legendary Coen Brothers. Or, I mean, you know, put together by the Coen. I can't keep track of who rotates between directing and producing and writing. You know, write both. Someone produces, someone directs, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, it's got Steve Buscemi, Francis McDormand, Great cast here, William H. Macy. A lot of fun, or is it? Well, that's what we're going to find out, because, <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert is not even valid here. Fargo is a movie that is, people who like movies, people like us who love the Coen brothers on this show, all three of us, mm-hmm. excluding Van, I'm saying me, Eric, and Travis, you know, we, we all would appreciate it and adore the Coen brothers as filmmakers. So we'll see where this goes. I'm uh, Jerry Lundegaard. You're Jerry Lundegaard? Yeah. Shep Proudfoot said... Shep said you'd be here at 7.30. What gives, man? Shep said 8.30. We've been sitting here an hour. He's peed three times already. Oh, I'm sure sorry. Shep told me 8.30. It was a mix-up, I guess. You got the car? Yeah, you bet. It's out in the lot there. Brand new burnt umber Sierra. Yeah, okay. Well, sit down, then. I'm Carl Showalter. This is my associate, Gayer Grimsrud. Yeah, how you doing? So, we all set on this thing then? Sure, Jerry, we're all set. Why wouldn't we be? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you are. Shep vouched for you and all. I got every confidence here in you fellas. But first, Eric, can you take us back to the first time you saw this film? Yeah, you know, I was 16 at the time, and early on in the Coen Brothers filmography, 
I wasn't feeling it because I the Hudsucker proxy. What are you going to do with that when you're like 14 years old? Nothing. It's, it goes right over your head. And like Miller's Crossing, I was like, oh, all right. But like, I, and like when Fargo came out, I remember everyone's talking about it. Like, oh, it's the Wood Chipper movie, and then like it's got that guy. It's got Mr. Pink in it. So I saw mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, okay. Like, I, to be honest with you, man, it was so like contemplative and so like absurdist that like it wasn't. I liked it, but it wasn't clicking i wasn't the guy that was like complete masterpiece i was like okay it's like i'm seeing a lot of these types of movies these days oh okay van take us back to your first viewing of fargo well it came out in 1996 so i was Mm -hmm. 11 years old which means Mm. i didn't see it when it just came out i know i saw it within two or three years probably on vhs and mm-hmm. it was not for me because I was a young kid. What I liked was like, oh, cool. The guy got shot in the head and there was blood because I was a <laughs> young boy. I enjoyed that. I didn't really get most of Fargo. So I, if you would have asked young me coming out of watching that, what'd you think? I would have been like, oh, it's fine, whatever. As an adult, rewatching it, that has, of course, changed completely. But it was mm-hmm. an interesting production because the Coens had just come off of Hudsucker Proxy most yeah. recently, I think, and it bombed. It bombed terribly. Mm-hmm. They were prepared to make either The Big Lebowski or Fargo next. They already had, oh, I'm blanking on his name, The Big Lebowski. Uh, he was unavailable to to film that movie, so they oh. therefore made Fargo next. Really, Fargo was a huge hit. Their careers have taken off. If it was the other way around, because the Big Lebowski bombed in theaters when it came out, mm-hmm. I don't think we would have the Coen Brothers career that we have. So it kind of worked out in that regard. Uh, but at the time, yeah, it just was kind of like, yeah, whatever, it was fine. Yeah, I remember hearing about it, too, in mm-hmm. hushed tones. But I never saw the movie for many, many years. Many years. Like I'm talking like into the late 2000s, maybe it was. I finally wow. saw it. I didn't, I didn't see this movie for... 10 plus years i i'd heard a lot about it of course and the i'd watched the big lebowski like a hundred times in a five-year period but i couldn't watch this movie once which is something i do i have these weird ticks when it comes to movie watching and i don't know why i guess uh maybe disney can answer that for me disney tell me why i do things i can't think for myself but yeah i'd never seen it till about like 12 13 years ago and i was like oh man this is great it's everything everybody said it was and all the uh you know upper midwest minnesota uh, boots uh, borderline canadians and yeah oh yeah yeah uh the biggest the biggest line i heard the uh your darn tootin is very heavy in this movie by the way darn tootin that's uh people talk up there apparently but it was uh, such an authentic movie and very graphic as you guys stated too and I, i remember i remember enjoying it so what is the IMDb score? Does anyone know? Did anyone uh, look it up? Because I'm I did ready not, to guess. It's got to be high, right? Yeah, I, 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 I took a look. I so, took a look. You took a look. I'm going to take a complete out of the blue guess. And my inclination is to say nine plus, but it's hard to find nine plus movies. So I'm going to go eight, nine. Mm. Yeah, I think you're smart to do that. It's definitely not a nine because that's just too rarefied, even if it is yeah. a great <laughs> movie or highly held. Mm. I'll say uh, Fargo gets an 8.3. Yeah, 8.1. Really? Yeah, barely in the eights. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were, I read some of the reviews at the time of people who didn't like it. And a lot of those people mm. have reneged on their initial oh, thoughts. Oh, I imagine. As, as you look back, it's culturally, it's, it has a, its place. And a lot of the nuance that we now know are Coen Brothers staples, we didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. So that kind of helps, you know, add to the, the concept of the movie. But 
that's interesting to find that it's it's that low, but it's uh, still obviously very Whoa. high. And, <laughs> and if you're like me, like every time the Cohen brought, I do this with every every time they make a movie, aside from like No Country, like I'll see it and then I'll kind of walk out of the theater like, I mean, it was good, but it takes that next viewing for it to kind of click because mm -hmm. uh, they're so ahead of the uh, ahead of you every like throughout the whole movie that like it's easy to kind of dismiss it as a fleeting thing but like every time i rewatch like hail caesar like when i watched it a second time i was blown away i was laughing my ass off whereas the first time i saw it i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> kind of like um uh being john malkovich is another example mm -hmm. i use of a comedy that i don't laugh during i just mm. kind of sit there and like internally i'm like this is humorous but i won't <laughs> laugh and that's the coen brothers experience uh, obviously there's a few good actual yeah. belly laughs but it's not like a airplane laugh a minute kind of style movie it's one of those that's hilarious internally and that's how i've always felt about their films and, and, and like, they're usually blended with such like tragic comedy so yeah, oh yeah. You, you, even when you might be about to laugh something just graphic and horrific will happen and to be able to blend them so seamlessly makes them incredible auteurs mm -hmm. that's right you guys are smart. As far as Rotten Tomatoes, 94% from the critics and a 93. Boy, that is as high as praise and tight of praise as you will ever find a movie oh, we've man. ever done for Rotten Tomatoes. 94, 93. Wow. As far as the critical reviews, let's go back in time and see who said what. We always give you specific commentary. We never read a whole review. We just give you quick snippets mm -hmm. of the overall review. Uh, you know, we never do The Ringer. They've been around for a while. Bill Simmons, those people are into movies. Ad, Adam Naiman said, the movie stands as a pseudo-thesis of the things the Coen brothers have been interested in all along. Yeah, going back to Blood Simple, it always, they, it, they just, they dabble so much in consequence and how one mistake can just completely trail off into disaster and yeah they've still they're still doing it so hmm. uh he was alive at the time his name's gene siskel he has since passed of siskel yeah. and ebert didn't go his way sorry gene he had a good life though it's another daring black comedy by one of the most consistently inventive movie making teams of the last decade brothers joel and ethan Cohen. that's right gene that's who they are I think both Gene and Ebert, Roger Ebert, both named it like their maybe top four movie oh, of yeah. the 90s the or 90s something. They both sure. adored it. I do remember that for sure. Ooh, the overall decade, not just the year. That's a bigger list, folks, than just the individual years for those of you scoring at home. How about Rita Kempley? Yeah, Rita Kempley of the Washington Post. She said, Gunderson, played by Frances McDormand, is the most endearing, hilarious, and wholly feminine heroine since... Thelma or Louise? <laughs> I can't comment on Thelma and Louise because I haven't seen it as an adult, but I do think that in Fargo, obviously she did, Frances McDermott did a fantastic job, but the things I picked on, up on this viewing were things like, you know, she's a woman in the 90s who when men tell her things, you still have to, you, you can't just be like, no, that's wrong because it's men and versus women in the 90s. So she does a good job subtly suggesting things. And that happens early on when her partner, Lou, I think it is, says the, the plates. It's DLR mm -hmm. and you can't remember the rest. Mm -hmm. She's like, you know, I think you got a question. Your police work there, Lou. Wrong. Yeah. So, and that's, <laughs> I think she nails that so good. And the character does it. And it happens later on, of course, with the uh, the old friend that she meets who is a total creep. And, and just throughout the movie, she does such a great job. Oh, man, are you kidding me? I mean, that's what I think Russell, we got to give a shout out to Russell Withers, who 
loves Fargo, and that's yeah, Russell's the man. He loves that scene with the uh, what's his name, Mike. Uh, Yanagachi. It's it's such a bizarre scene that out of uh, all of my notes, that one's got the most question marks in it. Because for years I've been wondering, why is this scene in this movie? And I I, I pretty much pondered that throughout the day. I've got some conjecture we can get into later. But yeah, I'll come back to that. Yeah, that's cool. Anyways, that's uh, Russell post on Twitter. Like, is it even debatable that we should question whether this holds up or not? And he was talking about how much he loves this movie and that he's in the fan club of uh, Mike Yaganaki. Remember me? Yanagita. Mike Yanagita, played by Steve Park. Mike Yanagita, who's a excitable guy and russell loves him and russell's always been a big fan of the show russell we love you as always i've got roger and i were key components of the uh oh i just blanked on the stupid movie the russell crow master and commander oh hell yeah to come out yeah i'm the co-creator alongside with russell of making fun of those jokes because mike (laughs) said it i think it was on one of my shows i can't remember or i was guessing on yours you said it was like one of your favorite movies and that you, is absurd to me. Who goes like, oh, of all time, my favorite movie is Master and Commander. And you, you were like, my favorite fruit is a peach, I think. And it's like, oh, peaches are great. But how is that anyone's Master- favorite fruit? <laughs> Mike, I love you, but you're that's wild. Big first things first. Here. Yeah, I mean, I could eat peaches for hours. I know that. Oh, well, there it Secondly, is. Secondly, we have all of this recorded. So we can go back and find out exactly what was said. To clarify, because I believe it was on my show. That's how I remember this. You came on Palazzo in January of 2021 for the first time. And I believe that's where that came up. And then it took on its own life. So much so that on the Palazzo Podcast Discord, we have a channel dedicated solely to Russell Crowe because he's good. Yeah. The Master Commander bit also ends the Palazzo Podcast every episode on the main show (laughs) because it's not even that good a movie, but it's it's the first time I'd ever seen it at the time. So I was like, oh, you know, that's That's what it was fresh. Okay. Yeah, it was fresh. And I was like, oh, wow, this is better than I remember the long title being. Anyways, Roger (laughs) Ebert said about Fargo to watch it is to experience steadily mounting delight as you realize the filmmakers have taken enormous risks, gotten away with them, and made a movie that is completely original and as familiar as an old shoe. (laughs) Outstanding. That's beautiful. Well, the risks, I mean, yeah, the the film noir elements are very familiar, familiar, almost even cliche when it comes to the ransom um, aspects of it. But to make a movie that's where you're laughing at a woman getting kidnapped and subsequently mm. murdered. I mean, that's bizarre, man. To have that kind of sardonic attitude towards graphic violence is wasn't seen at all in the 90s. No, that's definitely true. And our main favorite, our legend in the making, Destin Thompson chimed in on this one. Okay. He says, it works like a charm, a really weird charm, that is. <laughs> Oh my God. Brevity first every is. time with Destin Thompson. Really All right. True. So, yeah. Okay. So, this was based on a uh, crime that took place. Are we all aware uh, of the. Uh, that's retracted. Weird. Yeah. Retracted. They, retracted they, entirely? They, they, they finally they, admitted they, there's nothing. Every like four years, they have a new thing. They're like, well, it's based on this. Oh, no. We just made it up. It's, it's <laughs> gone in and out and weaved in and out by the Coens. So, I don't. I think maybe they saw bullet points and then 
walked away and forgot what the bullet points were, and that's how it's based on it. <laughs> it's something like that. But the title card, of course, claims, you know, for in respect to the victims, we have changed the names, but in respect to the crime, we've kept it the same. And it's, it's a great title card. I do want to ask, though, while we're on this, is that necessary? Do you guys find that's necessary to enjoy Fargo, adding the that little realism component to it? Because I don't think it is. I think it's novel. I think it's neat, but uh, I don't think it was needed at all. So one of my favorite horror films is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And Toby Hooper did this in 1974. And when you go into a film like that with that information, that experience is going to be twice as unsettling. So I think as a tactic, it it does work, but only on that first viewing. I got beef with it, man. I got real beef with when filmmakers say something is based on a true story and it's not. It bothers me a great deal. Me and Travis have talked about this before as fellow historians, or at least, you know, he's a little more advanced of a historian academically than I was. But as a high school history teacher of the past, I take great offense to the fact that Fargo would even attempt to try to fool me. <laughs> <laughs> to thinking this really took place. How dare they? dare they? Shame on you. Get your shit together and get it right. Uh, by the way, <laughs> has anyone seen the TV show? I've never seen a single second of the TV. I have not. I've never Everyone seen says it. it's amazing. I'd love to watch it. You and McGregor's in one of the seasons, but I, have I can't known. pull the trigger. Yeah, I can't do it. Well, then what are we waiting for? Sounds like we all might like it. Anyways, I just wanted yeah. to get that on the record because Fargo TV shows a big deal now. But bottom line, Van, is that uh, it doesn't really bother me that much. I, I think it's. it almost seems like they tried to do it to suck more people in. Maybe they were feeling the crunch. Maybe they felt a little more worried about we really need a hit here. And they thought by doing that, it might draw in more of a mainstream audience for this movie at the time. You got to go back and think about that. But personally, it's a mild nuisance, but it's mm. entertaining, so who cares? Well, I'll tell you, on Boob 2 Boys, we covered Party of Five. That old 90s sure, absolutely. show, which sucked. Whoop. I'm just going to get that out there. It sucked. But at the time, they were using some trope-heavy things. And Brian Vaughn, the co-host, my friend of mine, had said something that stuck with me. He said, you know what? I don't know what was and wasn't a trope in 1996 or whatever it was. So I'm not going to hold the tropes against Party of Five. That's probably how I feel about Fargo in this. I think if you did that now, I'd be like, come on, don't do that. But at that point, you know, you mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that's a whole different genre. That's a whole different beast unto itself. So I don't have a problem with it. I just think it's an interesting stylistic choice that they made. Mm. Okay. Well, I think that this movie, you know, Van ripped me earlier for fast forwarding when directors, editors, they all intent with their pace. There's a specific reason they use pacing for their movies. And the pacing for this movie, I think, is real, real sharp. Oh, it's the kind of movie where I could, it just kind of moves right along. And I'm not looking at my watch. I'm not like, oh, is this almost over? Is this too long? It just keeps going and going. And that's also not just due to the pacing of the scenes and the setup of the structure, but to the dialogue. It's interesting to listen to. I want to know what's going on. The actors are hilarious and they all have their own defined characteristics. So all of those things in the environment of the film entirely create a outstanding structure and pacing 100 percent agree what i find most interesting about coen brothers movies is their dialogue and i mean that's an obvious statement to make obviously a, a smart movie like this the dialogue is going to be important but william h macy has talked about every pause that he his character makes in this movie was scripted by the coens and if you listen to interviews from uh john goodman 
from the Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Every fuck was carefully placed in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> and it's clear that those two guys know their dialogue. They know how to hook a, a viewer on that. And that's what Fargo does. Obviously, there's the gimmick of the Minnesota nice accent, which, by the way, mm-hmm. is the whole reason I picked the movie. Uh, former co-host of the Nasty Cast baseball podcast I did, Nathan Dawkins, is from Bismarck, North Dakota, who gets a mm. shout-out at the end of the movie. And he has these accents. that He hides it a little bit. The big one is bag. And guess what you say when you're saying stolen bases and trying to be cute with it? You say, he stole a bag. So Nate would go, oh, he stole a bag. And then <laughs> I, love I love the accent part of it. So there, that's a big impact of Fargo is making fun of that accent and how polite the people they are. But every detail, every phrase, every word is scripted so tightly and it works and it can not work as we've seen in other uh, Coen Brothers movies. But Big Lebowski is one that it does. This movie is certainly one that it does. So very good dialect, guys. And not even the, the, as, as good as the main players are, the Coens have this sublime knack for even making these secondary or, or even extremely tertiary characters interesting people that just have maybe one or two lines like all the prostitutes seem like very mm-hmm. specific characters that are like fleshed out and have their own stories every shopkeeper the girl at the register that gives them that face it's like no stone is left untouched when it comes to anything all the fat is trimmed off the the, the script has um us coming into scenes kind of like they say this is what you're supposed to do they, they come into like something mid-scene so there's no, you know, there's no epilogue or, or or setup for any of these things that happen. When when Jerry meets up with uh, Wade and Stan at the restaurant, they just jump into it mid scene. You don't have to find out how they knew about the ransom. It's just it just rolls right, right along. I love that. But when they do include introductory bits between characters, it's the same thing because it's that Minnesota nice thing. Of like, oh, how's it going? Great. How's it going for you? Great. How's it going for you? Because that's what they do when you're trying to be polite is that's the the dialect and how that works up there so i agree with that and the guy that i want to point out is the one who talks to the cop at the end he's the bartender i forget his name but that guy nailed it so good with (laughs) the and i told this fella i said you can't be killing people in here and he said well oh you better talk to the last guy i spoke to and i didn't (laughs) care for that just the way he delivers the lines it's just so good and yep. it's not it is it's not making it'd be very easy to just poke fun at this dialect in these people right. and say, oh, these are the like the stupid Midwesterners. But they don't because they're they're all like intelligent in their own sort of way. And I love that they didn't stoop that low to make everyone just an idiot. Yeah, I think it it feels very authentic. It does. Watching it this time around, even if it's a little exaggerated a little and, and not in a mean way i just think it's a little exaggerated i've i've been around this area grew up in the midwest uh, van all three of us we know how the midwest operates and the upper midwest is different than the the middle midwest if you will which makes no sense when you're talking about something called the midwest but mm-hmm. it does to us all i know is that the niceties set up this very pleasant place where something so horrific happening it makes this more of an interesting movie, too, because it's supposed to be such a very cold, desolate place, but a super friendly place. Yet this horrific crime is going down because despite the kindness that you see on the surface, there's people like Jerry, who's a, a, a I assume it's a gambler. He's a degenerate gambler. Uh, is that Do we ever know that for sure? Or? He's just a scammer. Uh, just a, yeah. just a, a 
pitiable little sniveling scamming weasel with insecurity <laughs> issues because of his father-in-law and the thing about jerry that i really didn't notice until yesterday is he's comfortable i mean he's he's not even in danger of losing oh. his job his marriage anything he just wants to look better in front of his father-in-law like there's no point what the fuck is forty thousand dollars gonna do for him that he doesn't already have but that's the beef i have this is a beef first beef why can't we know more about what the fuck is actually going on you can't just say he's a scammer i don't accept that like what's going on with him that what did he do he 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 I, it feels like he's a gambler we're just not told that i guess i don't i don't need to be told it implicitly but i'd like to know a tad bit more about what's going on in his life that leads to desperation because I always say in the show, character motivation is important to me. I think I, I touched on it. He's living under the thumb of his wife's family. They're probably paying for the, their mortgage, everything in the house, and he feels very... But he needs money. He, he's, I need money now in a well, bad he way. He wants to make that deal. He wants to make that big deal that's going to make him as rich and powerful as his father-in-law, and that's why he wants this money. And, you know, he lets on that it's 80 grand or 40 grand at the early on, but he knows he's going to go for a million. Yeah, yeah, good point, that. Bam. So that's a little bit of a, a, a mm -hmm. misnomer there. But, no, I, I think uh, he's – you really hit it on the head, Eric. He's a sad sack. We see it in the scene where he sells the true coat to the one guy who's pissed off about it, and the guy's like, well – I can't believe you do that. Where's my checkbook? So he gets a sale in the end. Fucking liar. And, you know, it's William H. Macy with his head down sad, but it's exactly what he wanted. He uses his sad sack nature to get what he wants, but he doesn't want to be that anymore. He wants more, and this is how he's going to do it. The problem is, is he, everything is fine for him. He, he's probably been given everything. He's been given this job because we find out the dad owns this dealership. Mm -hmm. So he really doesn't need any of this. And he's never really had to work for what he's getting for. So he doesn't really understand how the world world works. That's how I took it. His wife is never pissed before she gets kidnapped. She's, she's so happy. She's just so happy and having a good time. She's trying to help her son. And she's trying to help her husband and her dad. She's so kind to all these males in her life who all three might be questionable for differing reasons. But <laughs> I got to give Harv Presnell a lot of credit. He's so good in this role as Wade Gustafson. This asshole. He is an asshole. He's a, he's not the rich assholes we know today, which are easy targets. He's a well-off guy who, when pushed at all, his ego takes over. When he tells Jerry, and they're having that conversation early in the movie at dinner, we're like, oh, well, Scotty oh, and Marge, they're taken care of. They'll always be taken care of. Yeah. He leaves him out intentionally right oh, to yeah. his face. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, Wade. You get what you deserve in this movie. You fucked yourself. And there's a comeuppance for a lot of people in this movie, and he's one of them. And if he had just been a little bit more humble for once, he would be alive. But no, he goes out. I haven't seen Kristen Rudrid, who played Jean, and anything else in... I didn't recognize her. Dude, she's like a little ball of anxiety uh, throughout <laughs> the entire movie. And like I said, that fucking kidnapping scene, all from her point of view, and to laugh at something so horrific is just so bonkers. And her sitting there watching TV and uh, Peter Stormare's characters wearing the mask mm -hmm. and he's trying to break mm -hmm. in. And she's just like right there, <laughs> five feet watching him do this. Just like, what is going on? I love that little detail because in her mind, Nothing could go. Nothing will go wrong. Yeah. Why, nothing why can would happen she here. ever expect this? Until he bursts through, does she start to freak out? And then, then it's just chaos. But that was fun. 
Yeah, it's a shock to the system. Also, that house, man, it really took me back to growing up in that mm. time frame. I'm a couple years older than Scotty at most at that point when that movie came out. And those homes, I didn't live in a house exactly like that, but it was kind of like that in Heartland. But I had a lot of friends who had houses just like that. And you could see when... He first comes up to the window and it shows the whole neighborhood. And I mm-hmm. took a moment to like look back to him, like, "Oh yeah, that kind of neighborhood." I, I definitely lived out in that kind of neighborhood for a while there in the suburbs, and it just reminded me of so many homey things, which Good. the Coen Brothers do well about the house and the way it's set up. Yes, it, your house is always dark. All your appliances are yellow. <laughs> <laughs> It's just uh, they do a really good job of setting it. And now that I'm so much so far removed, I don't get to ever experience my childhood home again because that's long gone. So so when I see a movie like this, it just reminds me, like, oh, yeah, that's how things really were. That's that's a testament to a movie in a way. All the little things beyond just dialogue that are important to this film. And I and I appreciate that. But what uh, what else you guys? What were some things you guys want to bring up here? The fucking weird choice by Carter Burwell to have like this odd like eastern european minstrel music as the, <laughs> as Wait, you, the don't, you don't like it or you love, I it? love it but it's just it's so bizarre it's a little jarring it's, it's operatic a little jarring and he doesn't use any like needle drops or anything like that which would be easy to do uh but it, it's it's just in such a weird environment it may, like the music matches like the the tone of the uh setting they're both just you can't really put your finger on how bizarre they are and it, it, it's really cool um, I mean, we got to talk more about Marge because, like, she's you ca- you can't compare Nathelma and Louise because Marge is like she's pious, she's righteous, uh, she does the right thing all, constantly in every oh. single situation. Uh, there's not a lot of characters like that, especially cops in the '90s. They were always you know on the edge and like you know, blowing coke on the side and all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're always if they're the good guy, it's the Jean Claude Van Damme action hero good guy who can do mm-hmm. no wrong. They're infallible. She's a good guy who does everything right that you like. You know, she brings night crawlers to her husband because she's sweet. She gets the case figured out. She's not mean when Lou screws up the dlr thing she's just a right. she's a good character and you can uh, at least identify with this kind of character and just be like okay i've met people like this i'm glad things are going well for her i'm glad this is the protagonist of the movie i'm about to watch because i appreciate seeing her do what she does and again francis mcdermott just kills the role and i think she won an academy award for it or oh, she won yeah, one yeah. of the big awards because she she definitely did Yep. And by the way, bird seed. It was a bag of bird seed on her belly. She, of course, wasn't pregnant and she wore fake breasts. And uh, a lot of people have said, pregnant people have said, she nailed the walk and how pregnant people would react in this situation. And she says, I didn't really do much training. Francis McDermott says this. She just <laughs> says, I had a bag of bird seed on me. I had to do that to balance my weight. And it just worked. So good for her on that. That's it's, funny. It's very, it's, for years, I had all these theories about, well, why would she be pregnant? Is this some sort of comment on, you know, bringing children into this world that lacks morality and is so indifferent? Yeah. But I guess the Coens just wanted her to uh, appear bigger, like as a like a big heroic figure. And that's just kind of what they decided on, make her pregnant. So she's just a little bit of a larger woman. Um, but, I mean, again, till yesterday, the character that didn't strike me, like... I complain all the time about characters not really having arcs, but Marge doesn't really change. She's she's she wakes up in the morning at the beginning of the picture. She solves a fucking triple homicide 
And then at the end of the movie, she just, you know, goes back to bed, watches the nature channel and, and praises <laughs> her husband, who's just a painter. She he doesn't get on his ass or anything like that about laying around the house painting. She just does her job and does it really well. That's right. That's exactly how it goes. But I want to dive into the relationship between <laughs> Stormer <laughs> and Buscemi. So yes. something I learned in this movie, first off, uh, Shep Proudfoot. He's the mm -hmm. connector. He's a crucial connector to this whole yeah. thing. He works right. with Jerry at the at the dealership, and Jerry connects with Shep. But they skip all that. They just dive right into him driving to drop the car off, which I also like, by the way. It's a good awesome. intro. Mm -hmm. But I had always thought, and this is just because I didn't know the movie as well, I guess, that Carl and Shep were friends. But when he says, tell your friend Shep, after he's been shot and he's parting ways with Stormare, like, tell your friend Shep next time I see him, I'm gonna kick his head. You know, I was like, oh, so, so when, when they have the conversation with Jerry and Shep talking about the guy he vouched for and didn't vouch for, yeah. or Shep just says, no, no, didn't vouch, no, no, I'm so funny. And then later in the movie, Shep explodes into this rage. We see he's so chill most of the time, but he's a ticking time bomb, clearly. So then it was, it was reverse of that. It looks so the Peter Stormare character and Shep were friends. And then Carl was the addition. And I got that wrong the first time I saw it. It was just a little thing of the movie that I had mixed up. And you do have to pay attention to know that because Same. he's so quiet in the movie. Stormare's character says so little. I just assumed that Carl, the loudmouth played by Buscemi, was the guy that was connected to Shep. I did the same yeah. thing. I thought exactly that until about yep. three quarters of the way through the movie when I pieced it together. So I yep. believe that was an intentional thing. It, looking back on it, it may not have been, but I feel like a, a detail that intricate, eh, maybe not intricate. Anyway, I feel like that was put in there by the Coen brothers that we're supposed to believe it's Carl because he is the loudmouth. He seems to be the brains, but it turns out in the end, he's just the guy they brought along and it just <laughs> didn't work out for him. But no, I completely agree with that. That's interesting. It's kind of a dick move on Shep's part because to vouch for a complete and total psychopath to, to do this job uh, who's unhinged and will murder at the drop of a dime? Come on. Hey, recidivism, man. These guys are just ready to go back. It's just the life they learn. It sucks. It's all fucked up. You know what? It, maybe not making him solely the criminal character that he is, Shep Proudfoot, of course. Good on the Coens for having a Native American character because there is a large Native American population up north. And right. uh, you, you see them in throughout the jobs. And, of course, the Native American populations, myself being descended from several of them. Oh, really? Did not have it well. So, oh, yeah, I have. It. Look at me. Look at this. This is over half Native American. The wow. European white in my DNA fucked over the Native American, just like in real life. But, yes, hey! no, my grandmother, full-blooded Native American. I grew up going to uh, this summer camp every year, put on by the Native Americans. I've been to powwows. I've done all of that. So I always appreciate when we see little bits of it. Now, again, he was the criminal, and that's somewhat realistic. Uh, the Native Americans were screwed so bad. That's just what well, they bring up. When you're they bring up the narcotics. The exactly. narcotics charge, which, which would be, you know, what we know about alcohol and drug use in yeah. these reservations that they're not their fault. It's just the systemic situation that he would be put Bingo. in. So if you look at it through today's lens as well, it's even more uh, impressive or at least quality writing, on, my, in my opinion, by it the fits. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I, I do agree with that. So I but I like that the character at least existed in that regard. And even back then, it wasn't just completely whitewashed like a lot of things would be. So impressive mm. in that regard. It is. That's and that's what we look at. Does it hold up? That definitely holds up in that part of the film. 
One thing about Steve Buscemi, too, that I want to point out is uh, when I was a kid, of course, I, I don't think I'd seen Fargo by this point, but he hosted Saturday Night Live, and it was shortly after Fargo came out. And there's a skit where I don't remember the setup, but essentially he's supposed to be a good actor, but the only thing he can do is the things he's already done. So, for example, there's one scene where he just starts screaming, help, I'm in a wood chipper, help. And I just that's what I will always think of when I see Steve Buscemi, and it's so perfect. Okay. I don't remember that one. Wow. I'd have to check that skit out again. He also does the white tornado in a Judge Judy situation, and it's just a little <laughs> weird white guy dance, and it's perfect. <laughs> well, when they're on the road together, and you know, Carl's pissed because they won't talk to him, and the absolute stone face, the Hall of Fame stone face, this is all-time deadpan stone face from Stormare. It's just so... Good. There's no. I don't care. You want to use uh, a pagoda deadpan? He was legend. <laughs> this is the definitive example of deadpan cigarette hanging out your mouth. We first meet him. He's sleeping in the bar with the cigarette hanging out of his mouth. This is so <laughs> good, and he deserved more. People know him from Armageddon. Came out two years later, and he played mm -hmm. the cosmonaut stuck up north in the space, and escapes with the rest of the crew. But this is the uh, this is the role of a lifetime for him because I I've always enjoyed his work, but. I think this will always be his best work. He's always Carl Hungus for me. Who's <laughs> oh sure, I'm a fixing a cable, cobble. Yeah, yeah. He was so good in this, and in fact, this is the movie that kind of put him on the map. He started a band right after this called Blonde in Fargo. No way. That's what people referred to him as. So I thought that's that was awesome. kind of a neat thing. And of course, he plays Satan in uh, oh that Keanu Reeves movie Constantine. He plays oh, the devil. He does a good job okay. there too. And he survives all of this, um, which is pretty typical for the Coen brothers. They're not big. I mean, you get some comeuppance on it, but I mean, mm -hmm. the Coen brothers are such absurdist uh, and they don't give a fuck who, who has to pay for like severe consequences. Um, things just play out. I mean, that's what's so interesting to keep going back to these movies for is this gray divide that they always hold to pretty much all of their characters. Um, including that one. How do you but, feel about the last little bit with McDormand where she's talking to him saying, you know, how can you do that? How can you commit all these crimes and, and get to that point? Did that resonate with you? Did you like that? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, lofty, um, but yeah, they, they pretty much leave it to the viewer because she gets no response. I mean, she's very pretty much asking a rhetorical question, and she's the one that has to see this every day. That, that's that's her job, and it still doesn't make sense to her how pe how people can do this. I agree with yeah. that. I liked it. I, I like the way they did it in the sense that he didn't respond. I think if you were doing you know a standard popcorn flick nowadays, you would have Peter Stormare say something to give mm -hmm. the audience finality, and they didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. And that's what we were just talking about. And that's great. I love that about Fargo. That's that's amazing that it's so open-ended in that regard. Yes, he's caught, but does he realize what he's done wrong? Does he do the thing Mike was talking about where they just always wind up back in prison? You know, and it just makes you think as you go through the end of it. And, and that's that's amazing. I love that. It, I just started thinking of one of the best scenes of the whole movie is where they're fucking the hookers and then it fades out and <laughs> lights up to ba -da 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 -da. <laughs> nobody says a word no one's moving just cigarette smoke bellowing from each couple's in their beds and i'm like man they nailed this life i mean what a awful i mean that's like yeah you're just sitting there you just had sex yeah you got nothing to say <laughs> you're watching johnny carson 
It's so By the good. way, one of those hookers was the dialect coach, the one who helped no Casey and Francis McDermott do the the Minnesota nice accent. Yeah, cool. I don't remember which one it was, but they they liked her, and they're like, "All right, you can be a hooker in this movie." <laughs> <laughs> My favorite uh, hooker is the one, the second one at the end. Who's, Go yes, Bears? Who Sammy? Yeah, yeah. And she's—I forget what she says. She's grinding on him, and she's like, "Oh, we're getting there. We're taking." Oh, Jesus. Ew. Yeah, that's Man, yeah. come on now, dude. No, yeah, no, it is. And then Shep blows in. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> that's so funny. That is so hey, dude, funny. I was banging that girl. Yeah, no I totally. I spaced out on Jose Feliciano's in this movie. They're yeah. watching. <laughs> Jose Feliciano in this celebrity room or whatever the fuck they're at. And there's also a ton of eating in this movie, a lot of restaurants and a lot of bars in this movie. We get a lot of food. The, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, because Margie's pregnant, so we're going to see. We got Arby's. We got an Arby's reference. Speaking of our Arby's reference from earlier, we've come full circle. That's wonderful. <laughs> and also, they're very loving. You know, we said that Marge is a very loving person, but they have a very, very romantic relationship. Her and her husband played by... The great John, uh, absolutely, uh, John Carroll Lynch. John Carroll Lynch, yeah. So, and uh, another side fact behind the scenes here: the Cohen brothers told the two actors come up with a backstory. So the backstory they came up with is that they were both police officers. They fell in love, mm. and when she got promoted to chief, they decided one of us should not be a cop. You're the best at it, Margie. So you you be a cop. I'll go do something. And then he just liked painting. So then they pushed into that. That's just that's not canon. Mm -hmm. That's just the head canon. <laughs> they come up with. And it's perfect because it's. I mean, you could see exactly that and their the reactions, how they talk, and how sweet she is to him. And he's a little sad, obviously, but but he still, understands like, when she has to leave in the middle of the yeah. night and all that. Sure, it's great. That's it's awesome. Well, you got Arby's on me. That was a great one too. It better be canon. I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> All right, we're talking Fargo here on the Cinema Night Podcast with Van Lee. Uh, can we come up with some more criticisms, guys? Anybody? Oh, dude, Mike, yeah, what is this scene? What, what what do you make of it? Because I'm scratching my head all day on uh, Mike Yanagita's scene. Why do we need the sequence of his story about taking Margie Olmstead out and trying to get it going again? This takes a lot of screen time in a short movie. Yeah, That's I definitely it. I think it's weird. And I think it was supposed to be just another quirky character, but it's a little too long. I think that's my problem with it. And here's the test. Take it out. If you're a film editor, take it out of the movie. Watch the movie without that scene. Does anything change? Not really. So that isn't yeah. necessarily a thing to do because there's a lot of that in this movie. But I don't know. I'm with you in that it's jarring and it's a little weird. I, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the best I could come up with is Ray... <sighs> Right after she leaves the Twin Cities and has that meeting with Mike, she does start to question Jerry in his truthfulness okay. and his honesty because she hears from her friend that Mike was full of shit. So that may very well have led her back to the dealership to, to question Jerry again. Yeah, um, dude. But, yeah, know, I think that's scene, very but... I think that's very true. That, that, okay. Interesting. I think that's I like what that. I think that's what we're – yeah, I think that's the whole point of it is it's mm. not just filler. Yes, it, it's a little long, and but he ends up being full of shit, so you're like, oh, my God. Well, I can't just go around trusting everybody because even if she is a great cop, she's still from fucking Brainerd, a very right. tiny little town, and the Twin Cities are a big city. Yes, folks, yeah. I don't care. We learned this from the Young Adult episode, as you recall, the uh, little apple, if you will. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's called? I, I don't know. I don't know. 
You were here. You don't remember I don't, what happened? I don't remember. Oh, I, don't remember. I don't remember half of what I say, so I'm, I'm with Eric on this one. Who knows? <laughs> okay, great. Well, then I'll, I'll just okay, leave so it. With Margie and uh, Mike here, maybe it's just because I'm used to just batshit crazy stuff happening every second of every movie now to keep audiences' uh, attention. I thought it was going to be that she slept with him, and that was going to be a whole plot point. Obviously, that's not it, but that's to the point of that scene being a little jarring as... I felt like there should be something more to it. I'm with you. And that's probably what it is, Mike, with her, uh, you know, understanding that people can lie and that, that, you know, changes her perspective, but it still mm. was, I, I think that would be the criticism I would levy despite liking the scene. And particularly mm -hmm. when he goes to sit on her side of the thing and, and she has to be like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. You please sit over there. <laughs> and then when he gets upset, she has to make him feel better and say, no, no, no it's so I don't have to turn my neck to look at you. That sort of thing. Well, I'll give you one other tidbit about that that I think is in the movie's favor today is that it shows people from all different cultural backgrounds all speaking that same type of yeah, vernacular yeah, up there, right, okay? Right. And, and there's a lot of stereotypes related to just like a typical white person, which the movie is filled with, right? But we got Shep and we got Mike. And we got mm -hmm. different people living in this world, and that's how it really is. Yes, there's a lot of cultures, uh, a lot of monoculture stuff around where these parts exist in the midwest but it's filled with people from all different kinds of cultural backgrounds and i think sometimes in movies that's not appreciated or played up enough so bonus points to fargo in that respect too and he has an undercurrent of a different accent so if you hear it i'm usually pretty good with accents. you can hear some i think he was japanese i think you can hear an undercurrent mm -hmm. of a japanese accent slammed on top with the minnesota nice accent and i i appreciate that and i uh I watched it with my girlfriend, Katie, and she's of Korean descent. And she made a joke like, is this guy me? Am I weird and creepy like this guy? I'm like, no, you're not. But uh, that, that kind of endeared me to that whole moment as well. I was reading an interview with Steve Park today while ruminating on this sequence. And he talked about how much he loved working with the Coens and how respectful they were of his Japanese background and what they wanted to do in this movie. And he was like giving out tea on like being on the set of friends and like everyone there treating them like dog shit mm -hmm. uh it's just for the mid 90s it was just unbelievable yep not surprised to hear that it's pretty cool for the coens to be doing that certainly at that time yeah okay well uh we're getting well, close to the end here if you want to get any of the final commentaries before we make our rulings all three of us will rule on this film uh say it now get it on the record okay one last bit about girlfriend katie she lived most of her life and grew up in Minnesota, or not Minnesota, Wisconsin. So when she hey, goes you. to visit, and she just got back from a trip, as in this past like three days ago, she got mm -hmm. back from a trip to visit her family. The accent comes out, and she'll say things like, oh, are you going to take out the trash? And I'll be like, <laughs> oh, what was that? Am I going to take out the trash? And I love to tease her endlessly, and she gets mad. She's like, I don't have an accent, damn it. But occasionally it pops out. I sure love that do. accent. It's so much fun. So it much is fun. Yeah, you know, Michigan, we're a little uh, upper Michigan. You can get that. The Upers are what oh, they call yeah, it they in the UP. Like yeah, my, my yeah, father all, sounds like that. Yeah, all everybody in the UP, the Upper Peninsula, sounds like that. And it mm -hmm. just extends over to Wisconsin and Minnesota. And uh, I've never been in the Dakotas, so I have a little less experience with that. But they also, we've talked a lot about the voices, but you also have guys who are just clearly not from those parts, like Carl and mm -hmm. geared like they just talk like they talk and they don't really have that like carl's clearly not from the area 
because he's doing the Buscemi, which is not from there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you get, you and even, you know, I guess Grossman and Wade uh, to a lesser extent, but the, it sneaks out in bits bit. depending who it is. But they're also more <laughs> in national business business. Businessmen, if you will, you know, big time business dudes doing business things. I just got to tell you, though, like the one I said it before, but I just love the fact that Wade Gustafson gets murdered in this movie. I love it. It's like, fuck him. If you wanted comeuppance from anyone, that's what you've got in the movie. You get a little bit of it. He thought he was so much better than Jerry, who is a sniveling piece of shit, but you weren't that much better. You thought you could just show up there with a gun and take on these hardcore criminals? Get fucked, Wade. But I, I don't get it. If I had loads of money, everyone I know would be wealthy. I'd be giving money away to everybody. And if particularly my son-in-law, if my wife got married to some dude, even if I didn't like him, I'd be like, I'm going to give you guys so much money because I have it. I do not understand, clearly, capitalist, this is wealthy society. It drives me bonkers when people have so much money and <laughs> act like that. Oh, my Stupid. God. My immediate response to you is this is why you will never be wealthy. So Bingo. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's precisely right. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, her personality, he's a total asshole, but Jerry is twice as bad. And going back to my viewing last night, it it, it, it never really dawned on me. Um, you never really pity. It, it's so easy to feel sympathy for a character who made a mistake and they're trying to get out of this hole and it keeps getting worse. You don't feel sorry, or at least I don't feel sorry for this guy one goddamn bit. In fact, there's a, a scene that's easy to kind of gloss over when um, somebody mentions his son uh, and Jerry is literally like, oh, yeah, geez, Scott. I and it's like the first that. it's like the first time he even thought how this would affect his own kid. What a uh, fucking douche. Of course, he's a he's douche. clearly a villain. And I don't. Hmm. I think he is supposed to be the villain, but I think they kind of want a little bit of the, if you're not paying attention, you might think he's a victim. And I do think that comes through, but you're 100% right. And if you're following this to a T, if you're not fast forwarding, he's a villain. Sure. He is the villain of this movie overall. Yeah, well, he's, yeah. A, he's a fool. He's also a classic fool. The he's fool. also the bad guy. Okay, fool. Entertain us, fool. All right. <laughs> time to pull the plug on this son of a bitch. It's time to find out, does Fargo hold up or not? Uh, boy, it wasn't a lot of negativity, so I'm expecting a clean sweep. Uh, would anyone like to go first? It holds up. There you go. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much good. I mean, this is one of the world's best movies. It's a fantastic movie. I'm sad I had not watched it since I was a kid. I've just known of it. And particularly, I mentioned my friend Nathan Dawkins, who's from North Dakota. He would mention this movie all the time. He has the accent, Fargal, you know, that sort of thing. And I, I'm sad I didn't watch this again until recently. And I will now, to Russell's credit, be watching this a lot more regularly because I do think this is a movie like The Big Lebowski or like, you know, uh, other movies of that ilk that you can rewatch over and over again and not, you know, despise it or not get too lost in it. There is graphic violence, of course, but it's played against the backdrop of, for example, when the cop gets shot in the head right in front of Steve Buscemi and he's just like, oh, rats. Like he, he is clearly affected by it, but he doesn't react like any normal human would. And I appreciate things about that. So, yeah, this movie holds up. It's great. I don't think it's ever going to go out of style or fashion, but I think that's also part of a period piece type of thing. OK, here's the thing I listened to. I believe it was the the Vitch, as I call it, the witch sure. the horror movie, the episode you guys did a while back. 
and you were talking about period piece movies. Is Fargo a period piece movie for you? It is to me because of the location and because of the just uh, the eighties aesthetic of it. So I think it's a period piece. You could make that argument. Yeah. We didn't talk about that at all, but I would completely agree with you. In fact, I thought it was I'm like, Oh, is this all eighties or is it, it's in 96, 90, mid nineties. So the supposed crime, at least when that was the thing too, was that the crime had happened in the late eighties. So they were trying to take it back to that period. So yeah, I think you're uh, totally on point with that. I think that's fair. I do. There's only one clue. When they go to arrest Jerry, they ask him if he's the driver of a Burgundy 98. I don't know anything about cars, but are they talking about oh. the year of the automobile? That's interesting. I think that would be a mistake because what I read yeah. today was that this is this movie's 88 or whatever it is. Mm. So if that that's interesting because typically that's what you'd say a, Bur- a Burgundy 98 Corolla mm. or whatever it may mm. be. So interesting. And who yeah, knows, dude. that might be um, section somewhere. What can you say, man? This the the movie is is was a cultural phenomenon. Okay, it spawned four seasons of uh, what I we all heard is a great series that we really should check out. Um, we didn't talk at all about Roger Deakins and how he shoots everything so immaculately. The Coens called Minnesota. What is the quote? They called it Siberia with family restaurants, and that's what it yeah. seems like. It seems like this like, Martian landscape of tundra with good people in it and bad people in it. And it's up to you to decide where the weight falls on that. Uh, and that's what the Coens do best, man. They they leave it up to you uh, in the classic, like, Camus K- K- sense. They're not saying uh, anything about anyone. They're leaving it up to you. Um, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's very funny, but, you know, you don't have to laugh out loud. It's just so clever. And we're talking about one of the best scripts ever written uh you know beautifully filmed blah 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 it's a classic it completely holds up well there it is nothing for me to dissuade or to dissent from it's it's a very enjoyable movie to watch the pacing is outstanding it's funny and the dialogue is great seeing the chemistry between several different characters the whole the grossman wade jerry conundrum and then you got <laughs> Gerd and Carl and their frustrations with each other and, and Shep mix in once in a while. There's just so many characters and then Margie and her husband yeah. and Lou and it's all over the place, but it's all connected and tied up very, very well. A lot of laughs, good times. It's, it's a, it's a fun movie and it's very, very rewatchable. Yeah. It'll always be rewatchable. I'd be happy to fire this up any old time because first off I'm an American. So I'm immediately desensitized to violence. So of course. that wouldn't matter. <laughs> I mean, that. It's obvious. So the fuck gives a fuck about that? Disney, even Disney doesn't hold back on violence. So I uh, love this movie. It's a lot of fun. And it's not my favorite Coen Brothers movie, but it's certainly a really, really good one. Uh, Would you guys care to say your personal favorite Coen Brothers film is? Hmm. Uh, Oh, there's a lot to this. I won't get all into it, but it is the Big Lebowski for me, even though I think the Big Lebowski is a little overrated at times. I think the problem I have with Big Lebowski in the cultural landscape is dude bros who don't really get it quoting Walter. That's what problem. drives me batty because it is a problem. They don't understand what Walter is. They don't understand the purpose of it. They don't really get the movie. And ultimately, Big Lebowski is far more quotable than this movie, I think. And that's what kind of works in its favor in that regard. That doesn't mean it's better. It just means that, again, the dude bros have things they can glum on to. 
And that's okay because there are a lot of great one-liners in The Big Lebowski. For me, it's a nostalgia factor. I watched it and loved it when I was a kid and have yeah. loved it since. And it's a movie I watch fairly regularly. And by the way, I grew up essentially in bowling alleys. So that has a little bit of <laughs> my grandpa bowled, my dad bowled when I barely knew him. So it, uh, I would be there. I bowled when I was a kid and through early adulthood. And I will never bowl in a professional or in a league again, by the way, raise your hand here. If you have any perfect games in bowling, boom, I've got like six of them. I'm good. Oh, wow. Throwing rocks tonight, man. Hate it. I would go sure. bowling with you guys and get just blitzed. That would be fun. But I will never, ever set foot in a league bowling scenario because those people are like the people in Le Le The Big Lebowski. They're <laughs> lunatics. So it's it holds a special smoking. place for me. But I really do like Fargo. I I'm impressed with this movie. Fargo is the best, in my opinion. It, it, it hits on all everything the Coen brothers are all about. Tragic comedy, beauty, violence, sardonic humor everything it's perfect ah okay well, oh well that's a very reasonable okay uh i mean the big lebowski was always the standard bearer and even yes everything you said van they've taken it and it was nobody gave a fuck about that movie when no we obsessed for over that movie time. for post high school for four or five, five years we, we one night we put it on 24 hours straight at jimmy's house it was just start the vhs over every night the tv in the corner of the kitchen for 24 straight hours it's always going to be big lebowski i don't care who stole it from me so there it is the here in front of me, by the way i wish i did because i could pull out my card i am a card carrying member of a priest of the church of dudism which was founded based on the Big Lebowski, I can marry people in like 35 states. So if okay. anybody out there wants to get married and you want a dude-like priest, let me know. I'll wear my Rocco's Modern Life shirt. We'll go to <laughs> All right, there it is. We've done it. Fargo is in the can. Uh, we're a little longer than we usually are, but I hope we were entertaining and you enjoyed what you heard slash watched. YouTube, subscribe to us there. You can do all the audio stuff on your favorite podcast platform. And Eric and myself are grateful that Van joined us. And that's why you yeah, should really. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. And even I'm sure Travis would say that. Travis is speaking for you. Travis really enjoyed your appearance, Van. He really did. Except when and, you trash Marvel, he's still pissed. Oh, yeah. He'd be furious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he'd be furious about that. In fact, he'd be angry that I didn't like stand up for it in any way. But everything you said about Disney is so true. So fuck it. Yeah, it's right. You do like Moana, though, right, Van? What is what is Moana? Oh, I don't do kids <laughs> movies. Yeah, I'm, yeah! I'm an adult. I don't have kids. I don't That's do right. the, the the singing, right. the colorful right. blast at your face. Yeah. No, gotcha. uh, now Travis is even more pissed <laughs> off because he loves that shit. So I'm with it's you, fine. dude. Fuck kids, I'm man. Afraid. I don't want kids around. I, I only have kids for a reason. <laughs> I hate when kids are in my movies. I don't like they ruin movies. It's happened many times. Kid actors suck. Even okay. good kid actors suck at acting. They're just bad <laughs> at it. Except one. And the one in the witch, actually, you brought up the witch. That was the. Oh exception. yeah, she did. Uh, wait, you're talking the, uh, the young the boy, creepy little the boy. Oh, he was good because he was weird. He was good. Yes, that's the exception. That's what I'm saying. All right, please, and make sure people connect with all your work for one final time. Of course, you can find me at Manly Van Lee, as the little thing says here. I'm on Twitter. Still do some baseball stuff. I'm kind of uh, getting out of that uh, area, uh, but that's okay. I'll still be doing some of that stuff. Boob Two Boys is our TV show podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. I am the owner proprietor of the Boot Two Inc. podcast network. That's B O T U. It is a nonsense word that I came up with when I was a kid, and it's a little sheep. So I had the logo here. I'd put it in front of you. Uh, you can also find podcasts to Star Wars Story. 
wherever else you get your uh, podcast. Again, a little wonky to search for because we haven't put out a lot of episodes yet. We've got Attack of the Clones coming out later this week, hopefully. And uh, search Boo Inc. if you, you're struggling to find that. But you'll see my face as Emperor Palpatine and Brian Vaughn's face as C-3PO, his favorite character. Yeah, that bothered me, but I'm not even going to get into that because we, we are out of time. Uh, Brian, four hours later. Yeah. Yeah, I will get back to you on that one, though, Brian. I owe you a conversation. So, Eric, for next week's choice, before we close yeah. the show, Travis has delivered me. He has entrusted oh, me with his selections. That's right. There are two. So oh, no shit. Them. He's given me two. He wants to give you the choice between two films. Oh, my God. Both with the same star. Wow. And okay. the same director. This is un this is unprecedented. I know. This is unprecedented. So uh I don't know if I if I give any more away, I feel like it'll tell you what it is. So I'm just gonna let you choose something that came first or the one that came next chronologically. The first one or the second one. It's up to you. Oh, oh, I don't I don't even get to know what they are. Okay, uh, so I'm going to go in the. Oh, it's like episode one. Episode it's not a series. It is not a okay, series. So These are two. Plots. Okay. Yeah, just two separate films with the same director and actor. I bet you I could guess at what they both are. I think it's Drive and Only God Forgives. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you until uh, you right? decide what's. I'll no, say we'll go it... with the. I'll say we'll go with the second one. The sophomore effort. Okay. Well, no, that was incorrect. Uh, the star is Jack Nicholson. And the director is Sean Penn. So you oh, have selected pledge. You have selected the pledge. Fuck, that yeah, is correct. This is on my short list. This has been on my short <laughs> list. I'm so excited. It was between the crossing guard and the pledge. Yeah, fuck the crossing guard. I I'm so pumped. I was going to do this a few months ago. Okay. Uh, have you ever seen either of those films, Van? I have not. Uh, but one thing that you did say that stuck out to me was it's on my short list. Yes. We have for the Boob Two Boys. A list of all the shows we cover, we add to it. We each have our own little short list, and it's fascinating stuff when we do that. I'm sure you guys have kind of a similar deal with the movies you cover and that sort of thing. And that's it's fun to see the behind the scenes stuff for how stuff works for you guys and how it matches up for how that's beautiful. And uh, cool, oh yeah, man. we uh oh, we have a Patreon. Al, oh hey Elf, what's up, buddy? Hey Willie, where where's the cat? The dryer. Uh, <laughs> we have a Patreon, and you guys have one too. So uh, if you want to subscribe. You should patreon.com slash boot right. ink. That's right. There Let's hear is. yours. Cinema nine podcast, Patreon. It's in the show notes. That's all I know. Okay. We have two patrons. If you want to be a third, we welcome you. It'll be we a big one for us. So, yeah, we're, we're killing it hey, on Patreon. Guys. All right. It's a running contest. Maybe you guys could take us all to the next level. Thanks everybody for watching and listening. It's been a pleasure. Van Lee, the man, the myth, the legend. We never said uh we forgot to say Van Cleef. Did we ever say Van Cleef on no, the episode? No, we Van Cleef jokes? No, no, yeah, I never, stayed away from uh, it. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, Travis would have been all over that. That's what he wanted to do. So, Travis, at least we got it in the final moment. Thanks, Van. Me and Eric, appreciate you guys. Travis is out there enjoying life. We'll catch you next time, next week, on the Cinema 9 Podcast. Don't, don't, don't vouch for him.